Heads up. This episode, John and Sebastian quack about duck boobs, stop-motion monstrosities, and Macaulay Culkin eyes. Because it's no more Mr. Nice Duck on Here's Why It's Great. Welcome to Here's Why It's Great, where we take what you hate and tell you why it's great. I'm Sebastian Kavlicek. And I am John Bring. And today we are talking about the infamous film, and I do say film, not movie, because it is such elevated art, Howard the Duck. Howard T. Duck. Master of Quack-Foo. Master of Quack-Foo, which is still impressive. The, what, the Quack-Foo? Yes, and that he is a master of it. Um, the, yeah, sure. Do we know any other masters of Quack Fu? Exactly. <laughs> I guess, yeah, he's the one. He's the one and only. He's I a guess third degree would, black belt in Quack Fu. We wouldn't know if he truly mastered it or not, because there's nobody to really, like, challenge To, like, that. test his skills. Yeah. Well, we got to go back to his hometown of Quackerton? Quackland? Uh, <laughs> Quackington, D.C.? Yeah. Um. On his home planet? On his home planet of Quarks? Do they um, say in the movie? I don't, I don't think know. They even say. I think it's just Ducktown, USA. <laughs> it's shaped like an egg. Oh, is it? Yes. I, I did not remember that. Yes. But I guess we should start from the beginning. Okay. Uh, we're talking about Howard the Duck, the 1986 film. Yes. Per- famous Came out per- August 1st, 1986. Oh, produced by George Lucas. Uh, yep. <laughs> for whatever reason. about uh, It's an adaptation of the Marvel Comics character. It was actually the first uh, Marvel theatrically released movie. Yes. So the true beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> what an illustrious start. What a wonderful beginning. And it uh, starred Leah Thompson, Jeffrey Jones. And Tim a, Robbins. Tim Robbins. And a little person in a duck suit as Ed the Gale. title character. Uh, Ed Gale. Who I, uh, in a deep dive of his IMDb, found some amazing things that he's worked on. I know he had done Chucky. Yes, he was uh, one of the stunt performers on Chucky. Probably like the Kane Hodder of the Chucky world. Kane Hodder played Jason Voorhees in the Friday the 13th uh, movies up until, I believe, maybe Jason X, but I think maybe actually he went through Freddy vs. Jason. But yeah, so Ed Gale was the Kane Hodder of the Chucky franchise. But most importantly, yes, one of the finest pieces of film ever committed to celluloid, he played the character Station in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey! <laughs> Do you know who Station is? Yes. Great. Uh, and then our uh, obviously our listeners know who Station is, but let me just... Oh, please. You know, for please, anybody who please. happens to have not seen that wonderful piece of cinema, Station uh, is one of two creatures in heaven who are the greatest inventors in the universe. And Bill and Ted, after dying and going to hell, end up going to heaven to find Station to build robots of themselves right. to, find, to fight off the other robot versions of themselves who killed them. And if that didn't make sense, then you're dumb. <laughs> uh, but Station was two uh, diminutive, diminutive creatures. They were like big, like lumpy, uh, like weird, naked. They had huge noses. Uh, they were kind of like, I don't know, looked like Jim Henson creatures of some kind. But maybe like they would appear as in like the background of the labyrinth or of the Dark Crystal. Oh, yeah. But they, uh, obviously Bill and Ted recruit them. There's two of them. And then they, <laughs> at some point when they reach Earth, they buy a bunch of supplies to build Bill and Ted robots to actually construct them. Even though you'd think that two creatures would be better, the two small creatures 
go across the parking lot, run at each other, and then smash into each other and end up like a big glob on the ground, and then they become one giant station. So they they station together, and now that movie came out in what, like 1991 or something like that, or maybe a little bit later, but I've been using the term stationing uh, as a way to describe when two things become one, when, oh. when if you like meld two things to become one, it's stationing. But um, that's actually legitimately one of my favorite movies, and the fact that Ed Gale, a.k.a. Howard T. Duck, uh, played one of the stations, um, man, just like my heart soared when I saw that. I have to go back and watch Bogus Journey. I've definitely seen Excellent Adventure far more times than Bogus Journey. Yeah, Bogus Journey to me is kind of like the Gremlins 2. Like, I've seen Gremlins 2 way more, Hmm. and I find that way more enjoyable of an experience than Gremlins 1. Gremlins 1, don't get me wrong, great movie, but Gremlins 2 is the shit, man. It's got the electric Gremlin, the spider Gremlin, the bat Gremlin that makes a perfect Batman symbol as it flies out. It's got uh, those twins from Terminator 2. It's got Christopher Lee. Um, it's got, uh, what's the, the, the name of the guy that was in Batman and Robin? The John, uh, oh, I can't remember his name all of a sudden. John. Uh, oh, John Glover? Yeah, John Glover, uh, is the leader of the building and he makes out with one of my favorite characters in all of fiction, the Lady Gremlin. <laughs> uh, so it's just. It's Man, just, he makes out all over the place. Makes out with Poison Ivy. Yeah. Makes out with the Lady Gremlin. I'm sure that's not the end of his makeout career on film, but like. Yeah, he's got it going on, John Glover. Good yeah. on you, good on you, bud. Good work. Uh, but we're not talking about we're not talking about Gremlins too. We're not talking about Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, though. We should cover those at some point. We're talking about Howard the Duck, the story of a duck that gets sent to Earth. Yeah, he gets ripped from his own home planet, catapulted through the cosmos, and lands in Cleveland, of all places. Uh, and he has no idea why or how it happens, and immediately is thrown into conflict with humans. He sees Leia Thompson for the first time, which... Which would... Sends my heart a flutter. <laughs> yeah. That would um, make any guy's heart go a flutter. I already, I already had a crush on Leia Thompson from Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then in this movie, Howard the Duck, she's got the, like, crimped hair. Mm-hmm. She's got the stockings. She's a rock star. She's acting all tough. It like took everything to the next level. She is so eighties in this so eighties, so, so beautifully eighties, so wonderfully eighties that I don't know if anybody could out eighties her. I, don't, I can't think of a single person or figure that could out eighties Leah Thompson in this movie. And, and honestly, Leah Thompson in this movie is about the only thing that I like really distinctly remember. I remember her. I remember the monsters from the very end, and that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leah Thompson, man, yeah, mega crush on her. Yeah. One of my first crushes. Her, Ariel from The Little Mermaid, and Jessica Rabbit. And Madonna, specifically from the, what's the, uh, Material Girl video. Oh, yeah. Those are, uh, you know. Well, fun fact. Uh, when first she crushes. Au- when she auditioned for this role, Leah Thompson was working on another film, and she said she thinks it was Red Dawn, but she can't quite remember. But she was working on another film, and she auditioned for this one, for Howard the Duck, and she knew it was a rock star, so she went out to like secondhand stores and got as much Madonna and Cindy Lauper items as she could afford, and wore those to her audition. Wow, that's cool. Well, now that you mentioned Cindy Lauper, uh, I would say if there's anybody who could almost out '80s uh, <laughs> Leah Thompson in this role, then it might maybe Cindy. 
Yeah, they should have an '80s off. Yeah, they should. They should not. They should. I guess they should not today. Station together and be the ultimate '80s. What? Oh, yes. Uh, Cindy Lauper still sounds amazing. By the way, I've seen her twice in concert. Oh yeah, you saw her recently. Huh? Yeah, recently she was touring with Rod Stewart. Saw her and Rod Stewart at the Bowl. Great show. Uh, she's fantastic. Her voice has not missed a step. Awesome. She's great. Um, and she's hilarious. Like I, she's like a Dolly Parton type, where she does a lot of like banter in between songs, and tells a lot of stories. And she's much like Dolly Parton, hilarious. Like she's just great. I could listen to her talk all day. That's awesome. Oh, uh, Leah Thompson. Speaking of voices, Leah Thompson does all her own singing in Howard the Duck. Oh, does she? Yes. She actually had to rehearse. Is she, is she good? Uh. I mean, I yeah. guess I guess we'll find out. <laughs> she, um, I mean, well, pop stars don't always have to be like the most amazing voice, right? Unless you are a Cindy Lauper type. She's like, not, listen to Madonna. Like, Madonna's got a great voice, but like, she's you no know, Adele Dazim. Exactly, she's no Adele Dazim or the real Adele. Uh, so she's passable. Yeah, it's all '80s. You know, it's that '80s style. And the did Leah Thompson miss her calling? You think? I think she found her calling. I think so, as but her. I mean, like, could she have had a second career as a pop star? You think? Oh man. Like, she could have been, like, the head of the Go-Go's. Or... Do you think she thinks of that now? Like, she's like, looks back and she's like, Maybe. man, what I should have done. Because, like, rock stars, you know, like the Go-Go's and the Bengals and stuff, they're probably still touring. Pat Benatar, I know, still tours all the time. Obviously, Cindy Lauper is still touring. and Maybe that's why she didn't do it. She didn't want to tour. <sighs> no, man. She's like, like Leah Thompson, wanna... I've been to several events where, like, Back to the Future, At the Bowl, and stuff, where she shows up. She shows up to all these things. Yeah, but she so doesn't have to not... talk. She doesn't have to sing. That's, I guess so, Maybe but... she doesn't want to have to perform. She just wants to talk about, like, what things used to be. But hey, she could still kill it. Uh, when we went and saw Back to the Future with the live orchestra, uh, many of the actors showed up. Unfortunately, not Michael J. Fox or Christopher Lloyd showed up. Did Eric Stoltz show up? Uh, no, he didn't. He may have been back at the bleachers, but uh, he wasn't there on stage. He was like, Ugh. but Leah Thompson sat like maybe t- we were in the boxes towards the front. Uh, the Hollywood Bowl is a big amphitheater out here in LA, and uh, towards the front there's all the box seats which can hold four people. Uh, our friend Sandy had gotten Lindsay and I tickets, and uh, the only time I've ever sat there at the bowl in the box seats, so it was an amazing experience anyway. The score of Back to the Future is one of my favorites, but most most importantly, Leah Thompson sat about three boxes away from us, and like my like six-year-old self was crushing so hard. <laughs> yeah. you, you can't take your eyes off the lady. It's like, oh my god! Like I, she was like the 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 zenith for you know the first part of my life, and not there, there she is, not Zena, not Zena, warrior princess. Uh, but anyhow, uh, but no, Leah Thompson still looks great. I'm sure sure she still sounds great. She probably kept up with the singing, maybe. I'd like to believe that she did. Yeah. I'd like, I'd like to believe that she's still singing. She has like a personal studio in her house. She's still singing. And in a couple of years, she's going to put out the definitive Leah Thompson album that she's been working on for the past 30 plus right. years. Right, which is just the songs from Howard the Duck, but acoustic. Yes. <laughs> That's no <the> accompaniment. <laughs> no accompaniment. Just her and her guitar, baby. Yeah. But um, yeah, this is a weird movie. It's a weird movie. I, yeah, I guess we, uh, I will say, since we are starting from the beginning, even though we just diverted quite a bit. Wildly. Um, I am a fan of Howard the Duck. I loved Howard the Duck as a kid. I, back in the days when there were still video stores, when my dad would pick me up for a weekend, we would always go by the video store and I'd be able to grab a movie or two for the weekend. It was often Karate Kid, Jason and the Argonauts, Sinbad. But at a certain point, it became... Like a Sinbad like comedy special? No, no. Sinbad, like the seventh voyage of Sinbad. Sinbad oh, okay. in the Eye of the Tiger. The Sinbad, uh, the adventurer. Not the comic. Although, those were I, I've time. watched quite a few Sinbad comedy specials on HBO. Those were not in my library. 
But at a certain point, Howard the Duck did. And I fell in love with it on video. I don't know how much longer after it came out. I can't remember. But I do know that it was the videotape that I went to. I remember the cover. I really loved this movie. And I think for me, it's that thing, I think, too, that uh, Kevin Smith has talked about watching Batman the 66 uh, version uh, when he was a kid. That as a kid, you don't get the like tongue-in-cheekness of it yeah you just are like oh wow here's batman and robin kicking butt fighting the joker etc and so if adults are like really you like that it's so cheesy or it's so gimmicky or whatever you don't really pick up on that as a kid and i know that i as a kid did not pick up on that with howard the duck i just thought wow here's a cool duck that's been ripped from another planet much like superman comes down here and is thrust into this weird world. He right away knows martial arts, which I was a huge martial arts fan as a kid. He gets a relationship with Leia Thompson. I was a huge Leia Thompson fan as a kid. And he fights the guy from Ferris Bueller. And there's just a lot of action. There's a lot of, there's monster stuff at the end. Yeah, that part really stuck with me when I was a kid. And it scared me as a kid. Like that monster, especially when Dr. Jenning, who's Jeffrey Jones, uh, when he starts manifesting as a monster and his, I don't know if you remember this part, but his tongue comes out of his mouth in the in the truck cab. Kind of. And it goes into this like cigarette lighter. And I remember his voice gets really weird. Yeah, his voice gets super creepy. He gets more and more weird looking. Um, but there's this part where Leia Thompson's in the cab with him in this big semi-truck. And he's like, need more power or something. And his tongue comes out of his mouth and goes into the into the cigarette lighter and electricity starts flowing through it, and just that tongue like creeped me out so much as a kid. Yeah. Um, but all those effects, a lot of them were practical. The the monster at the end is a stop motion monster. Like there's just so many things about that movie that as a kid, I was just like, wow, this is an amazing sci-fi action adventure movie. And it was an anthropomorphic creature that was cool, was about the same size as I was, mm-hmm. and was had agency out in the world and i just thought that was so cool and fun and kind of a rock star kind of think about it it's a little bit of a precursor to the teenage mutant Ninja exactly. Turtles in a lot of way like anthropomorphic animal could kick some ass uh has an attitude absolutely um you know gets with the human ladies somehow yeah um it's very turtleish yeah, exactly that was actually something i was going to bring up was is this is before the turtles came out so we're like it, the turtle movie came out so we're it, it absolutely even in the way that they did Howard's uh, puppetry is a precursor precursor to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and how they did those effects, right? Which I think is awesome. Which are, which still, I mean, I don't care what you say. Like the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, uh, which is the only one that I believe Jim Henson actually worked on. Mm-hmm. Those turtles look amazing, look and maybe so good. maybe the mouths don't always perfectly line up. There's one line in particular where Leonardo says, we don't need you, to Raphael as, uh, right after they had an argument where his mouth very awkwardly moves <laughs> during that segment. But, but I mean, like, what are you going to do? It's 1990. These are all practical effects. And, I mean, I'm, I'm going to vote for practical over digital any day. Yeah. Uh, so I would say, I mean, I like the look of Howard in this movie, from what I remember, better than the Guardians of the Galaxy CG Howard. Oh, the CG Howard at the end? CG yeah. Howard in the Guardians of the Galaxy looks a little bit too, like, rough around the edges. Like, too, like, gross. He also um, looks CG. Yeah, he, yeah. Like a lot of a lot of things in those movies do. Those movies are I enjoy those movies, but they are, are kind of suffer from CG overload. Yeah, where you could just tell like we are in no real locations at any point. We're <laughs> everything is a green screen, but yeah. that's okay. But, but not this, not not, not, not Cleveland, not not 1986's Howard the Duck, because they, I mean, obviously at the, at the time they had to 
shooting real locations and yeah. prob- like uh, from what I remember, like I think it's like old ILM. Like yeah, I mean I don't want to say early days because they've been around for at least ten years at this point. But um, yeah, ILM effects like yeah, th- I, those old effects that I love so much, just little optical effects and yeah, and back to the stop motion, not to harp on that but i've been a huge stop motion fan uh, my whole life like nightmare before christmas is probably the uh, one of my favorite movies and probably my favorite stop motion anything ever but there's a giant stop motion creature in willow that kind of bears a resemblance to the monsters at the end of this Uh, i remember at the beginning uh, phil tippett i believe is the guy who originally was going to do the dinosaurs for jurassic park yeah um but he's the one who famously said when he saw some cg renderings of the dinosaurs he said i guess i'm extinct uh, which gave uh, Alan Grant, I believe, said that line, or maybe it was Ian Malcolm that said it. I forget, but well, anyway, Phil talented did dude. The, the monster in Howard the Duck. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. He did the monster in Howard the Duck. He's obviously a long-standing career, so just like really talented dude, has yeah. a lot of great credits. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if he actually did the Willow monster as well. I have to go back and watch. That's another movie that scared me as a kid. Oh, for sure. But that I, that is an awesome movie. Yeah. Yeah, basically, though, I think maybe it's kind of connected because I remember the monster in Willow scared the crap out of me. The monsters at the end of this movie scared the crap out of me, and I feel like I never really watched them again as yeah. kids because they terrified me. I, I remember I watched Howard the Duck, as I said, so many times uh, as a kid uh, renting it, but that part at the end where the monsters are the big part of it, yeah. I would look away. Like, I didn't want to watch that part. I wanted to watch everything leading up to it. And then I wanted to watch the rock number at the end of the movie. <laughs> so you just fast forward. So I would just, like, do something else or not pay attention. I'm sure I did fast forward at times. Yeah. But it was like, uh, hurry up, get past this part. Yeah. Well, uh, we're already to the end of it. So why don't we go back to the beginning? Let's pop it in and watch this bad boy. Yeah. Let's take a, a gander at this amazing duck film. That I'm hoping, once you see it again as an adult, you'll go, oh my god, this is the most phenomenal film I've ever seen in my life. All right, let's find out. Howard the Duck, doop-a-doop-a-doo-doo. Good song. (laughs) Good stuff, good stuff. So we just watched the movie. We just watched the film. Um, And I came out tapping my toes to that Howard the Duck theme song wasn't it great i mean it actually is pretty excellent i mean you know you guys know me from transformers the movie soundtrack i am a fan of theme songs from the 80s and 90s that like describe the plot of the film Uh and that one's not quite plot heavy it's no transformers the movie theme (laughs) but uh man it's a it's a catchy little ditty written by uh thomas dolby of she blinded me with science fame oh wow I said to Sebastian as the movie was ending that uh, Cherry Bomb, the Leah Thompson's band in the film, definitely, especially with that song, sounded like and looked like the kind of band Prince would have definitely taken under his wing in his heyday. Yeah. What was the uh, Apollonia 5? Oh, yeah, uh, Apollonia. That sort of... That sort of thing. Um, the drummer was standing, uh, which kind of reminded me of uh, Sheila E. Mm-hmm. I know that she did that that deal once in a while. Uh, they had the like synchronized dancing. They had that Minneapolis funk sort of sound. Yeah. It was great. And they're all females, which uh, Prince was very into that. His final protege band, uh, Third Eye Girl, was all female. So anyhow, I, uh, I dig female. it. Yeah, very diverse. Yeah, surpri- surprisingly diverse. Oh, also, Holly Robinson was in the band. Um, who is Holly may, Robinson? She's now Holly Robinson Pete, but you may remember her from she 21 ma- Jump Street. Uh, that's the, where I first was introduced to Holly Robinson. The movie or the No, the show. series, the original oh. series. Yeah. I never watched the show. Oh, yeah, she was... Uh, now I'm trying... I'm blinking on the character name that she played, but... Yeah, her, Johnny Depp, a couple Deloise kids 
We're on uh, the original 21 Jump Street. Oh, like Don DeLuise? No, not his sons. Pete DeLuise and... I don't remember the other one's name. Okay, great. Let's say Eric. Let's say Eric DeLuise. Anyway, it was pretty cool to see Holly Robinson uh, up there. And I saw some behind-the-scenes stuff, and she actually can sing really well. We were talking about Leah Thompson, and and she does the job for for Beverly of Cherry Bomb. Uh, I think she sounds great. But Holly Robinson, actually, they showed her like warming up the crowd because they actually shot that final scene in front of a huge crowd yeah and she was uh she had a really good voice great great just throw nice, that out there <laughs> nice little uh so i didn't know you were the world's biggest holly uh pete fan holly robinson holly robinson sorry sorry uh we'll have to do a whole show on holly robinson pete one day <laughs> uh but for right now we're on howard the duck so yeah so howard the duck what, were, what are your first impressions after just watching it um well it's pretty fun I remembered actually more watching it than uh, oh, than good. I would have thought. Um, I remember the long, the very very long uh, chase on the uh, what was it called? The Lightbird, the Ultralight, the, the Ultralight. It's like a little airplane with like kind of a go kart engine yeah. built into it, and it goes on for a very Too long. very long time. There's a lot of car crashes, a lot of flying over swamps, and you have no idea where anything is or where this is taking place. Uh, I <laughs> or remember how much time has passed. Or exactly. I remember that. I remember Jeffrey Jones was creepy in it, and you know, in light of his uh, his legal troubles we'll say uh-huh. Uh-huh. uh in the early 2000s kind of everything is retroactively creepy with jeffrey jones um after his child pornography uh stint um, stint so <laughs> stint and i don't know if he actually went to prison or not but i know he is forever shamed and rightfully, shake. rightfully so yeah and it's hard to shake that image even though you know we all loved him in beetlejuice and in uh, ferris bueller's day off and in this uh he was very creepy in it and um the i'd actually forgotten kind of how awesome that that monster at the end looked but yeah the huge jaw on that monster at the end pretty amazing i just think the intricacy of that entire thing was pretty outstanding uh i forgot how many moving parts were on that beast yeah that and was, it goes for a little while it like, does it, it, that actually lasts a lot longer than what i remembered because i remembered uh basically like one or two shots of the monster from when i watched it as a kid and I guess I've just like never rewatched that finale. Yeah. Uh, but it's yeah. scary, man. I don't. I don't blame you. It's a scary finale. <laughs> and I rem- I did remember though the shot of like multiple monsters, yeah. which was clearly the same animated, <laughs> same monster animated and just like layered three times yeah. in in Photoshop. Definitely Photoshop. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that that was cool. So yeah, rewatching it, I feel like the tone is very odd. Yeah. Right from the jump. Sure. I, I'll, let me let me go back a little bit because this is something we didn't do in the very beginning. So, this movie came out August first, nineteen eighty six. It was produced by George Lucas, which right away makes you think like, oh, this is going to be as amazing as Star Wars when you're seeing his name on that. Yes, this is true. And and I think this is a result uh, and the failure of this movie in a lot of ways is a result of George Lucas's hubris at the time, coming off of Star Wars and Indiana Jones. I think he was. Feeling like he was uh, the cock of the walk a little bit. Sure. And I think that got him into trouble with this one. That makes sense. And I, he had worked with Willard Hook and Gloria Katz. Um, Willard is the director and one of the writers, and Gloria is a producer and the other writer. They had worked together on American Graffiti. And I guess after American Graffiti is when George Lucas first kind of tossed the idea around of doing Howard the Duck. Right, which makes sense because that was sort of Howard's heyday in the comic books. Howard was created by Steve Gerber and Val Mayeric for Marvel Comics back in the 70s. It's sort of like a counterculture, mm-hmm. sort of absurdist character that was 
basically created to make fun of things. Yeah. To parody things. and Like Howard the Duck. And that definitely seems like George Lucas's thing. Like, I can totally see him getting into that back in the 70s, um, being into that sort of thing. He was always sort of, even though he made very, like, populist movies, he always, I think he fancied himself a bit of a counterculture guy. Yeah. Uh, so it makes sense to me that he would bring that up to Gloria Katz and uh, Willard all those All those guys that were part of Zoetrope back in the day, um, and I mean, even looking at THX 1138, or, it was a very different George Lucas back yeah. then. Mm-hmm. And I, people, they always talk about this, even in more recent documentaries, just him kind of going to the dark side and what would it have been like had Star Wars not exploded in the way that it did? Like right. what kind of movies would he have actually made? Yeah. But do we want that world? I mean, honestly. A world without Star Wars? Yeah. We do not. Hell no. No, we don't want that. And and we eventually saw the, I mean, honestly, the, the prequels were the exact movies that George Lucas wanted to make at that time. And maybe that's a George Lucas who was fabulously wealthy and uh, had no issues and had nothing he really needed to complain about. So maybe that's why those movies were dull. Yeah. But um, which is a, the where biggest the, crime of a Star Wars movie is being boring. The, where was the young gritty George at that time? Yeah, he was lost in the woods forever. But uh, I could see, yeah, George Lucas being interested in this as something that he would probably you know send to his buddies. And uh, yeah, he would work with uh, Gloria Katz and uh, Willard Hayek on um, also on Temple of Doom. Uh, yeah. So just a couple of years before this movie would come out, and I think they had been trying to turn this into a movie for quite some time, uh, possibly yeah. batting it around as an animated feature. Well, that was something I was really interesting that I found in one of the behind-the-scenes uh, interviews with Gloria Katz, which she was talking about, yes, it took a very long time for them to actually get this made, but also when they started to work on it, they wanted it to be animated, and the studio said oh, well, we want a movie out in time for the summer or whatever, so we're not going to animate it. We're going to do a live action. Yeah. And that, to me, is just such a studio, like, mind-blowing choice of animated might be better, but we need a movie out pronto, and that'll take too long. So, live action. And it's funny to me that, like, a character with an anthropomorphic duck somehow is easier to do than a cartoon. But, uh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you'd have to, like, develop the costume and the technology to do that. Whether they, uh, they One thing I noticed on the Blu-ray, they went with animatronic uh, for yeah. a lot of the shots, which I had never noticed before. I, those really stand out, and you pointed out, I think in Blu-ray, any sort of special effects stands out a little bit more. Yeah, even the special effects on Ghostbusters look kind of horrid in yeah. blu-ray unfortunately like when the the demon dog is like running across yeah, the street yeah. you can basically see like the mat box around it yeah uh on blu-ray which is unfortunate because those are i mean even with that those are still some of my favorite special effects of all time yeah um the special effects in this movie i think are pretty awesome though i mean even with those yeah. those things aside and the animatronics i mean this is we talked about ninja turtles but this is one of the first puppets where all the servos and stuff were contained within the mask and contained within the the body as would happen with ninja turtles as well where usually there were cords and stuff that would go to the puppeteers but this was all radio controlled and it was also plagued by the same problems that ninja turtles would be as well where anytime an airplane flew overhead or somebody (laughs) used their garage door opener or anything the faces would go bizarre and crazy and, and nothing would work oh my god i would love to see again. footage of that <laughs> to Me see too. them spazzing out in the middle of a shot or in the middle of a take um, that'd be great i know the woman who played april complained about that a lot for ninja turtles and leah thompson and all the uh, behind what was the her name stuff. um was it uh something hoag no michelle i don't know um i know a 
particular couple of my friends who are listening are going to be yelling at me for Judith. Judith Hoag. Ah, I did it. You did it. I dug that. It was deep. well worth it. She played April in the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. By far the best April. Who knows who the lady is who played her in the second and third? Um, and I believe I Sarah have a Michelle whole Geller... group of friends that are going to be so upset that we don't know who the second. No, they don't care. Yeah, they don't care. Um, and Sarah Michelle Geller, as I was going to say, voiced her in TMNT. Oh yeah, Megan Fox would go on to play her. So really, just that middle one, we don't know. We should, we'll find out. And, and it'll, it'll be in the notes, and that will remain. But uh, yeah, but yeah, this movie was so it was plagued, you know, from the beginning in terms of uh, whether it's going to be animated or live action, and just taking so much time to get it done. And then also in terms of creating those animatronics and creating that puppet i mean that's a lot of work at one point they had a 12 year old kid that they had cast as howard and it just didn't work out because kids can only work for so long during the day they only have so many hours that they're allowed to work and they also have to go to school and etc so you could only get so much done also the kid got really claustrophobic inside of it it's it's insane to me that they asked a child yeah. to play this part yeah i guess size wise and everything he was right i guess so. but uh, what's his name? Ed. That was the originally the Ed Gale. Ed Gale. That was originally a stunt double for Howard. They liked what he was doing, and they asked him. Once the kid dropped out, they asked him to to take over. And Leah Thompson said she was really, really happy when that happened because it was already difficult enough to pretend to be in love with a duck, but then knowing there's a 12 year old boy underneath that and trying to seduce that duck boy, she said was just. Not fun. I'm sure. I'm sure. Now, there's a scene about the almost the middle point of the movie where Howard's getting into bed with Beverly. She's, uh, you know, they're, it's right after he, you know, rescued her from her poor management um, yes. for the band. He got her some money. She's, you know, thanking him. He's a hero. And they're getting into bed, and she's coming on to him hard. Yeah. And she's wearing, like, this really skimpy, like, outfit. Yeah. I wonder if the twelve-year-old boy was shooting that day, or if it was if it was old Ed. I think by then it was probably Ed. I, I hope so. Because I just for her sake, because that is awkward as hell. Yeah, not for the kid. Probably his best day of his life. But for her, that, <laughs> no, I want to stay. <laughs> so so yeah. So they had a lot of issues coming up with this and finding the tone. I think was also a difficult thing. Again, back goes going back to the hubris of this creative team. I I know that they had batted around. Uh, wanted to set the movie in Hawaii, where yeah. Howard landed in Hawaii, yeah. because they just wanted to go to Hawaii. Yeah, just want to be fun. Thought it'd be fun yeah. to shoot there, and that to me says you're not really invested in the character or yeah. the story. You're just like, ah, what would be fun for us? You know what's weird though? Like, I, I do think that's so bizarre that they're like, yeah, let's just go shoot in Hawaii because we would have fun in Hawaii. But on the at the same time, they also did research where they went and talked to Steve Gerber and they asked him what he thought about Howard what he thought Howard's journey would be like they did that sort of due diligence but they also were like eh, I don't want to tell the origin story I just want to go to Hawaii yeah it's such Which a is, weird it was odd dichotomy. and then and also them going them landing where Howard would ultimately land which is Cleveland Basically, the opposite of, of Hawaii. Hawaii. So it's a. I love looking at Cleveland. We were talking about this while watching it. Like I love '80s inner cities. Oh like, man, don't even get me started. They, they don't even get me started. <laughs> They've got so much character and just the everything spray painted. And in this movie in particular, there's like a punk scene. But I feel like in every '80s movie, there is the punks that show up. Oh yeah, and they're just like wanting to start trouble. Yeah, apparently the '80s were just plagued with like street toughs street wandering toughs. the streets and trying to mug people no matter where you were cuz Cleveland is not Detroit it's not New York back in the 6 or the 80s like Cleveland though it might as well be in this movie I know it's it's like RoboCop Detroit uh in this movie 
so maybe let's just rewind just a sure. second. We'll get to the street test. Let's just talk about like this plot and how it begins. Oh gosh, okay. Because we we start on a planet. We see a a, a nice skyline of a city. Uh-huh. But something looks off. like a normal city. Looks like it's a normal city, but there's something a little off about it. There's two moons. What? Which it's just like reminds me so much of. Star Wars. Right. Our very first nod to George Lucas, of which I believe there are many. Many. Uh, They're about to very come first, fast yeah. and furious. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, so there's the two moons, much like the two moons on Tatooine, mm-hmm. uh, with Luke Skywalker staring out. So that's our first indication that not all is normal on this planet. Uh, and we'll then get we get this sexy music. Yeah. It's like this noirish, sexy music. Yeah, it feels like it would be the beginning of like an early career, like film career, like Bruce Willis. Yes. Uh, kind and of that's movie. That's, I think, why I was so into this movie as a kid is because it was that sort of 80s action movie. There's yeah. the Bruce Willis noirish stuff in the beginning. He's a reluctant hero that ends up having to use his martial arts and save the girl and all this stuff and become the hero. But it is this very... It could have very well been just a Bruce Willis movie. Yeah, yeah, this is true. And we 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 catch a glimpse of Howard's apartment before he actually shows up. Lots of he must be a film buff because yeah. there's a lot of every movie, poster. a lot of movie posters. There's Splash Dance, yes. uh, which obviously a Flash Dance. Uh, my little chickadee. My little chickadee. Um, Sorry, WC Fowls. <laughs> WC Fowls. Oh yeah, those were. Those were particularly bad puns. There are so many puns within the first like five <laughs> minutes of this thing that, and they're just groaners. Like, what was the Raiders of the Lost Ark one? The, which is the second Lucas nod, yeah. nod in as many minutes. It's like Raiders, Raiders of the Lost Fowl or something yeah, like that. The lost but, egg or something. Yeah, it's remember. like a, it's just a really poor. It's like these are really lazy puns on top of everything <laughs> else. But it's play duck. They're he just reads play duck. oh yeah, he reads play duck magazine. But we see photos of his family. Mm. I get the you get, you get the sense that even though once we meet Howard, he's wearing like a suit and a tie. That maybe this wasn't always how he was. It shows him like you know, Howard and the Heartbreakers. <laughs> Howard and the Heartbreakers, his rock and roll past with a guitar strapped to the wall to show that you know he's hung up a sword. Uh, there's a picture of him in a weed farm, <laughs> yes. like as a '60s hippie. And when we finally do get to see Howard, he comes home. He he's got messages. Playing as Sebastian pointed out, Howard was a yuppie. Yeah, he was a little yuppie. She like his friend on the on the message and answer machine is like, "Hey Howard, when are we gonna play racquetball?" Yeah, and then some woman who calls him up and who's uh, she actually was into him. I yeah, think. she was like, "I had a dream. Come on over. I'll tell you how the rest of it went." Yeah, I'm surprised that actually, given I don't know, maybe they're trying to play him, set him up as like a ladies' man because that's how it plays out through the whole thing. But yeah, uh, usually this kind of character would have a woman you know calling up to yell at him and. Yeah. Like, oh, you didn't We're show over. up. Yeah, well, you miss our third date. This is it. Uh, but Howard finally does come home. Uh, we catch little glimpses here and there where he's pulling like a beer out of the fridge, pulling a stogie out. But then when he finally does sit down and we get our first hero shot of Howard, it's actually pretty cool. Yeah. As somebody, I'm not crazy familiar with the Howard character from the comics, but I've been familiar. I've seen plenty of images of Howard. Uh, like the there's a She-Hulk issue where he's really prominent. There's yeah. the uh, uh, Red Sonia cover. Uh, where he's like kind of guarding Red Sonja with a sword, and like those images really stick out in my mind. So when I finally saw him, he's wearing the the suit and the tie. He's smoking a cig. Yeah. I mean, it's he's cool or a cigar, not a cigarette. But yeah, he, it like it's a well done image. Yeah. It's kind of like when you see the turtles for the first time in in the first Turtles movie, where they're tromping down the sewer or the sewer rather. It's a or the sewer. It's so interesting because. Th- as you pointed out, there's so many images of other ducks or of him in photographs. And 
so it's not like it's a reveal that he looks like a duck. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not like that's what they're setting up. You know what you're in for, I guess, is their yeah. their thinking behind of it behind it. Um but yeah, when he sits down in that chair and you get that full reveal and the lighting is cool and he's just smoking on a stogie like a cool dude. Yeah. Um it is pretty neat. It is pretty pretty cool to see him. And like you, I was not super familiar with him. I have that She Hulk and and uh Howard the Duck comic book. And I had seen him in another comic book as well, but I, it's not something I collected. Yeah, I definitely saw him in like a bunch of like Marvel team up type stuff. Yeah. Where he would come on, he'd be like, kind of like an old school Deadpool a little bit, kind of break the fourth wall, sort of call things out for what they actually were. Whereas Spider Man's like, I don't know what you're talking about. You're a talking duck. This is weird. Waka waka. And uh, so that was kind of my baseline knowledge of Howard. And. You know, he's not, he definitely doesn't break the fourth wall, and it's not quite a commentary fest like the real Howard was on this. But, you know, I feel like most of the, uh, most of the hallmarks of his personality are here. He's a little abrasive. That's smart-ass nature to him. Yeah, I mean, he's got so many one-liners in this thing. Most of them are not great. Yeah. But uh, he's full of one-liners. He's full of, he's very sassy. Sassy. Uh, But at the same time, like, you know, uh, (laughs) yeah, he calls her toots. Um, but at the same time, like it goes back to that red Sonya cover where even though it's obviously a big dude, uh, the shadow of a big dude with a giant sword, uh, you know, and Howard's a little dude, he's going to protect red Sonya. Yeah. Red Sonya doesn't need protecting, but he doesn't know that maybe, but it's like Howard that carries over cause Howard's very protective of Beverly and yeah. really anybody he comes across that even Tim Robbins who annoys the shit out of him. Uh, he protects in a lot of ways. And Beverly is actually the first thing that... And he doesn't know her yet. He just knows there's some woman in danger. But that's the thing that gets him out of the trash can and feeling sorry for himself. That's his, there's no more Mr. Nice Duck yeah. moment. Which which we skipped the point where uh, he's sitting watching television in his duck house. Oh, yes. In his yeah, duck apartment that, yeah. on, in Duck World at... Uh, what was it? Washington, Washington, Washington D.C. So I wasn't I wasn't far <laughs> off earlier when I mentioned that um, he gets sucked through, and this is the first point where we go from this is a kids movie to what the hell am I watching? Yeah. Where we twice in a in a minute see duck boobs. Yeah, duck boobs. Like with with serious nips. That's the thing is like this is an 80s movie, an 80s action movie or an 80s sci-fi movie because in every one of them, including Commando, which is one of the best movies of all time, where they barge through the wall and there's another couple that's just there and naked. Like, that's this movie. They, They barge through and it's an old couple and then they barge through another wall and it's a lady duck completely oblivious oh, yeah, she to him singing. barreling through her wall. Yeah, he gets sucked through by a space portal and he goes through the walls. Uh, wasn't there like an old commercial, like a Duracell? Or no, yeah. I'm... The, uh, the Betamax or whatever? Not Betamax. The, uh, are you talking about the one where I know he's the, like sitting in the chair? No, or? I know the Maxwell commercial with that uh, guy, but he doesn't get thrown through a wall. I'm thinking of actually Rachel Weisz in uh, Constantine. Gets like oh. dragged out of a building and it's like going through walls like <laughs> anyway poor description of it and that really didn't play well on audio but believe me <laughs> but it folks. looked great guys <laughs> believe me folks it's a good description uh, so he gets yeah pulled through and sent through the far reaches of space yeah to Earth and as Sebastian mentioned earlier yeah his planet is shaped like an egg because, yes of course uh, a detail I had never noticed until you I hardly even noticed it when we were watching it just now you had to point it out to me again like oh it's shaped like an egg. Um, I like those little details. Yeah, yeah. 
Those are the things that make it a goofy kids movie. And then we just saw duck boobs like yeah. two seconds ago. It's like, what am, what are 80s. we watching? What is happening? And I miss that time of, of the 80s. You <laughs> when know, there where, were duck boobs where, galore? Well, you know, yeah, the duck boobs especially. But just the, where the line was not quite so solid between mm-hmm. what is a kids movie, what's an adult movie. Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones, another great example of that. People are getting their hearts ripped out, but then you have Short Round, and it ends with all the kids rebelling, and it's a big kid moment. And yeah. that movie is—I mean, that movie is the reason that PG thirteen was created. So that's a, probably the best example of it. Yeah. But uh, this is another one of those examples where it's like this movie is for children, more or less. Yeah. But it's just got stuff in there, and I mean, I remember my dad brought it home on VHS. Uh, there were several movies like that, the, like Little Shop of Horrors he brought home, and that was a little freaky for me too. But, yeah. uh, you know, he brought these movies home thinking that they would be good kids' movies that maybe he would enjoy. And uh, and this one d- did not hit the way that uh, Little Shop of Horrors hit me right in the feels. But um, very weird tone to yeah, start. Absolutely. And then, yeah, so he gets sucked into Cleveland, lands, uh, gets thrown into and out of a club, almost gets hit by a semi-truck, gets assaulted by a bag lady... A and group then of bikers. A group of bikers almost murder him. Uh, then he gets thrown into a uh, an empty oil drum and just hides there until Beverly almost gets raped. Yeah. Or something. Or it's pretty she's dark. She's definitely getting assaulted. And but what's interesting is she gets assaulted, and this is something I kind of like. Uh, she gets assaulted, and she's saying, help, help, but she's actually kind of she, kicking their butts. At that time, she's got the upper hand. That's what I said when we were watching it. She, like, finally, she knocks one guy off, knocks him to the ground, gets the other guy. She's, like, straddling him and punching him in the face while saying help. Yeah. And maybe it's just a, I don't know, a ploy. And by the way, girl, you don't say help. You say fire. That's when people will come. If you say help, people run away. Uh, they didn't know that in the 80s. Yeah, you didn't know that in the 80s. But... Uh, but it's the point where Beverly's actually kind of handling it herself that Howard finally says his no more Mr. Nice Duck and exhibits his first display of quack-foo. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is really awkward <laughs> because, <laughs> because all right, so it's a little person uh, in, the, in the suit, in the suit and yeah. they're in a full-body suit. Um, according to something I read, he could not see. Oh, yeah, he's, he, he had, talked about it. he can't see at all. Like, he could barely see out of the mouth when it was open. Yeah. But most of the time it's closed. So he's completely blind. Completely blind. And so, you know, the fight scenes aren't exactly stellar in this. There's not a lot of great choreography. Yeah. However, I mean, even look back at something like Three Ninjas or something. Like, there wasn't a lot of amazing choreography for the, like, for the hero shots. You mm-hmm. know, obviously mm-hmm. they got stunt performers to do all the other uh, martial arts. But seeing a duck beat up a human was pretty darn cool as a kid. Like, I wasn't thinking, like, oh, that wasn't a cool enough move. Where's the roundhouse? I just thought, yeah, man, this duck this, well, this duck is a badass. For a kid, it's just like, it's a little guy beating up on big guys. So yeah. it's just something Which is what you want to be able to do, yeah. Uh, he, he definitely does the, the classic uh, grab somebody by their hand and flip them over move. The uh, classic move if somebody can't actually fight, making them look like they can fight in a movie. Right. Um, so let the, let the person who's taking the brunt of the impact do all the work. Exactly. Basically. Uh, so, so basically Howard scares those guys off. Beverly takes him under her wing. Yeah. Uh, Almost no doesn't. It, it's interesting. And I, this is something I think kids also appreciate more than probably adults do. Everything happens fairly quickly and people are okay with things fairly quickly, which is like a comic book. It's very comic booky in the sense that she's like, whoa, weird, a duck. You want to come back to my place and hang out? Like, there's yep. not a lot of stuff that happens between first seeing him and her taking him back to her apartment. Like, she he saves her in a way, 
but she instead of leaving him alone which again he should be okay because he like i said while we were watching it shouldn't that just be water off a duck's back where it's raining but he's clearly affected by the rain oh yeah and he's cold and shivering he's shivering poor guy and so she's like oh yeah why don't you come back with me which this the, mo- the acceptance of like a duck creature the movie does the same thing as a whole because the beginning of the movie like she freaks out uh, she accepts him very quickly. In the beginning of the movie, when Duck, when Duck, when Howard is walking around, people are, a lady screams at him, little kids are pawing at him, people are freaking out about him at every turn. Within another like twenty minutes of of screen time, like nobody gives a shit that he's a duck anymore. Everyone's yeah. pretty just chill about it. Yeah. Like I feel like Jeffrey Jones is like, huh, okay, you're a duck. Moving on, let's <laughs> figure this out. And even when they eventually end up in a diner way later in the film, like. Sure, the waitress comments on him, thinks he's wearing a costume, but nobody's like, holy shit, like freaking out or screaming or anything. And it's kind of just, that's yeah. sort of was Beverly's way. I mean, that's just a way of <laughs> saying way. that, like, uh, we as a society should accept differences and, you know, accept people's otherness and wow. really, you know, take, of take time, time, yeah, in our hearts and not just not make fun of and scream at people that are different than us. Yeah, man. This is a good message. This should show this movie in classes. They should. Cool. They should teach it. It should be like, like you know, you read a tale like of two cities. You should read a tale of two cities and then watch Howard the Duck. They're on the same level, you yeah. know, both masterpieces. Masterpieces. They all have, they have hidden, you know, they have layers upon layers. So many layers, so many layers. So uh, Beverly takes him home and yeah. we find out a little bit of backstory on her. Which is uh, basically that she is a rock star, which we've seen. We saw her at a bar. And the bar scene, uh, when Howard quickly comes in and gets thrown out, uh, we see Beverly's playing with her band Cherry Bomb, uh, of which we've discussed a lot up to this (laughs) point, so I won't get into them. But uh, she explains that they're in a bad situation. Uh, Yeah, she she doesn't like her manager. She feels like her career is sort of stalled out. Um, Some might say it never started when you're playing for a... And a shitty dive bar that requires a fence in front of the stage, which means you must get a lot of bottles thrown at you. Uh, so <laughs> I'm thinking that your career is not doing so great to begin with, Bev. Maybe she thought that was like the stepping stone. Like you got everybody got to start somewhere. You yeah. Know? And she's yeah. like, all right, I'll start here. It's gonna go. It's gonna get better. Me and Holly Robinson, Pete, we're about to <laughs> be on 21 Jump Street. And then the next thing you know, they're still just yeah. playing for Cherry Bomb behind this gate. People yeah. aren't even paying attention to him. No, they're just looking at this duck, this giant duck walking around. Uh, it, he quickly uh, denies the call to action. She tells yeah, him... She t- they talk about destiny. Yeah, and she says, like, oh, the the cosmic, you know, the universe always has a reason for everything. Maybe there's some sort of cosmic purpose for you coming here. Um, and, you know, there's something I'll say at the end that I do feel like there was a cosmic purpose of this movie specifically um, that we'll get to. But... She says it. He denies the call. He says, I just want to go home. Yeah. He falls asleep. She looks through his wallet. It's, it's This is something interesting... I did not pick up on as a child. Yeah. I was not aware of what was going on in well, this Well, we moment. get the, the Washington, D.C., uh, the uh, driver's license. We see photos of him on vacation with a couple of duck hotties. Yeah. And we, we see a condom. She pulls a condom she out. pulls a condom A little out. tiny condom. And it's not in a wrapper. That's so it's, weird. It's just loose. Yeah. Uh, there's so much grossness There's on that so kind of, um, and she's like Howard, <laughs> um, <laughs> such a crazy sex bot he is. But uh, and Howard. I mean, she's pretty much into him from jump. I mean, yeah, he's got that animal. Ma- it's like he says, animal magnetism, yeah. sex appeal. Yeah. Some people have it, some people don't. Yeah, and Howard apparently has it towards Beverly because uh, she is into it. Uh, but the next day, she takes him over to 
her friend, oh, uh, which we don't know how they know each other yet. We find out later that he's dating somebody else in the band. But at this point, we have no idea how Beverly and what will be Tim Robbins, uh, how they know each other. Yeah. Uh, future elites. I know he's been nominated. He has to have been nominated for an Oscar by now. But I think for um, the one with Sean Penn. Uh, huh? Started with an M. Murder Town USA? That was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Murder Town USA. Uh, Mystic River? Mystic River, yeah. Was, was Tim Robbins in that? Yes! <laughs> okay, alright. I saw it once, and I just remember Sean Penn being real sad in it. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah, they were both in it. And uh, so, so yeah, we have future uh, Oscar Anyway, nominated. Shawshank, he's been in a, a Oh, yeah, yeah, he, I think movies. he got nominated for Shawshank. Had to have, right? So Had to Tim have. Robbins, everybody knows And Murder man, Town, USA. But this is <laughs> he and Sean Penn in Murder Town, USA, coming this summer. Uh, so he is, this is one of his like earliest film roles, right? Yeah. He had done some TV and I think he had done, uh, I don't know when, you know, stuff gets shot and when it gets released, but Top Gun was around this time. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I looked at his IMDb, there was some other movie that was around this time, but they talk about how he had done barely anything and he was really nervous doing this role. Because it was a film role, and he wasn't sure. I think nobody was sure about the tone of this movie. Yeah, and he, and everybody decided to just go go for, for it. it. I know I, they must have watched Rocky Five and decided to go for it. Go for it. Uh, I was gonna say Tim Robbins is the most confused about the tone. <laughs> he I think. is a cartoon. He, he is, was like, oh, we're doing a cartoon. I mean, he speaks in like a Donald, yeah, Donald Duck voice yeah. to try to communicate with Howard. Um, when he he they 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 bring him. He's goofy, he's over the top, he's ridiculous, he is a cartoon character, and Howard, when Howard is like the most subtle of the three actors in the scene between him, Leah Thompson, and Tim Robbins, something's up with this movie, where it's like, oh, the most grounded character is the fucking walking, talking duck. Animatronic duck. Yeah. So they talk to him, he gets revealed, uh, Tim Robbins is a weirdo, and he gets revealed that he's not even really a scientist, he's just a lab assistant. But I guess he's got some connections. He knows a few people. Um, later, he shows up and after a while, and Duck sees him. And he's like, oh, hi, Howard. And he makes this sound like, wee 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 And it's like, never again does he say that. Never before. No idea why he makes that sound. But it's choices. just like strong really, choices. really strong choices. And I feel like Leah Thompson sort of straddles the line of cartoonish and grounded. Yeah. Because there's like that right after the Tim Robbins scene when they're leaving and Howard the Duck is pissed. Uh, he wants nothing to do with this lunatic and is like waddling out and Leia Thompson is running behind him and they have their like blow up together where right. they like argue with each other and um, basically Howard's like, get out of here. I don't need anybody's help. She has like moments that are like heartfelt where it's like, oh, her heart is breaking. But then she also like swishes her hair and stomps off like there's this weird thing where nobody's quite sure yeah and i think part of it might have been a fairly inexperienced director i feel like uh willard hayek had only done maybe like one other thing or maybe two other things before this like he he was not a super yeah prolific uh, director yeah not super prolific director nor was he after this i think this pretty much tanked his and his wife's careers unfortunately um, but he, uh, so maybe not the strongest hand in, in directing. Maybe he didn't have a great concept of what the tone of this thing should be. Um, but he was still wishing he was in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And he's like, I should be on vacation right now. But Leah Thompson is also, you know, she's acting opposite a duck Yeah. where she can't hear, like 
Ed Gale was speaking through the costume and doing the lines at first, but since they couldn't hear him, they asked somebody else to do them off camera, and it's like, that's got to be a weird disconnect for her. So I feel like between maybe, like, a less than experienced director, plus you're not even really acting opposite anybody, most of her scenes are opposite Howard, that's got to be where some of her weirdness comes in. And And then when she finally does get another real human to act against Jeffrey Jones, (laughs) he's so over the top and so crazy that it's like, what are you going to do but match that crazy? Yeah. Everybody was dialed up to an 11. Yeah. Um, but except, I, except I, for Howard. Except for Howard. <laughs> he was very subtle. He yeah. was giving a little Marlon Brando performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I do give a, a little Mallard Brando. Of, I was trying to find one. Mallard I think Brando. Yeah. Mallard Brando. I, th- I do give a lot of props to Leah Thompson because that had to be so hard. And she yeah. said that they would always shoot the ducks close ups first. And shoot hers when they were done with all of that. So she had to be so tired too. By which the time is so of... odd. That again shows like an inexperienced director. Like why get the get the duck last? Use a stand-in for her yeah. shoulder. You know what I mean? Like yeah. let Leah go home. Shoot the animatronic that's probably going to malfunction every five minutes. Exactly. Uh, that's just so odd to me that you know again she went for it and and she did. I I totally you know it's got to be hard to pretend you're in love with a duck, even though everybody kind of like went back and forth between tone or went super over the top. You could tell that she was invested. And I think everybody was. Everybody was. That's the thing. I mean, I think it makes sense to me because this is a George Lucas movie and this is like his first thing. Everybody thought it was going to be huge. Yeah. And she's taught, she said like so many people were auditioning for that role. Everybody wanted to be in this movie. This was a big movie and everybody was excited about it. And it was a thing that everybody thought was going to explode and be awesome. Yeah, and it wasn't. Did I mention, by the way, that uh, Tori Amos, the famous singer-songwriter, was one of the people who auditioned oh, for really? the part of Beverly? She yeah. obviously didn't get it, but that would have been really interesting. I think that was before to- Tori became sort of what she's known for, which is this haunting, uh, low-tempo piano uh, yeah. music that she's known for. She was with a sort of more of a new wave band called Why Can't Tori Read? Uh, huh. at the time but anyway so she kind of would have probably been perfect but leah thompson was you know 80s icon so yeah, and she said one of the reasons that she got the role was because she was so hot at the time with back to the future and everything and she said there was a bunch of people that came up to her afterward after the movie tanked and were like oh i auditioned so hard to get into that movie aren't i lucky that i weren't in it which is a horrible thing to say to yeah, somebody that was in it pretty shitty guys um, but yeah, they said also in terms of Howard's voice that it took them forever to find who Howard's voice would be and that they auditioned people like John Cusack and Martin Short. Yeah. And, and uh, Jason Alexander was one. Jason Alexander, I'm shocked that they did not pick because in my mind, oh my like, gosh, yeah. his voice is perfect for what Howard, uh, for the Howard of the comics, the sort of cranky, yeah. uh, obnoxious version of Howard, the yeah. rude guy. But um, Jerry, <laughs> that would have been awesome. But so yeah, so they split off for a little bit. Uh, Howard decides he gets mad at Beverly. He's he thinks he's a freak. He wants to just be left alone. Yeah. But he needs. He realizes he needs to make the best of where he is. And yeah. of course, the first thing he thinks of is go get a job. Sure. So he goes to basically the unemployment office. <laughs> uh, how he found it. Uh, we'll never know he's how resourceful. he got a, uh, He is resourceful. Uh, talks to a lady who basically thinks he's dressed up like a duck to get out of having to work, but she's got. She'll get the best of him by God. And at one point, this is one of the few scenes where it's like a purely animatronic duck. Yeah. By the way, and it's very weird. It's kind of the first. It's jarring because usually it's like one quick shot here and there, but this is the whole scene, and you're like, this is kind of 
funky. It moves differently. It's like the shape of its head is different. Yeah. It moves in a weirder, more puppety way. Yeah. It's reminded me weirdly, even though these were, uh, for the most part, actors. Well, actually, no. Um, they're only actors in the wide shots. Reminded me a lot of the characters from A Dark Crystal. Mm. The Dark Crystal, uh, which yeah. came out, I think, like four years before this. Just uh, that very artificial move way of moving yeah, um which is, is also very creepy yes very creepy i i love the dark crystal the movie do doesn't too, make a lot of scary. sense i worked like a week as a writer's assistant on the show that's coming out on netflix when it's coming out who knows but that's gonna be really neat and i love that they're using real puppets but that movie is so creepy the yeah. skexies are so creepy so creepy um but uh but yeah so the animatronic really reminded me of that style just because, even though I feel like the Dark Crystal is way more artfully done, because I think those what? were those were hand uh, worked puppets as opposed to what Howard was, which was purely electronic. Yeah. So I think that maybe had they had a guy with his hand up Howard's ass controlling him that way, it might have seemed a little bit more natural. But yeah, it was very weird. He was gonna bite the lady's butt at one point. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know. But there's a lot of that. There's there's that scene in Little Shop of Horrors too, where uh, yeah. Audrey too. At least Audrey wants blood. But uh, Audrey 2 is about to bite a lady in the butt because it's in front of... So it's two puppet scenes trying to bite a butt. Puppets can't help themselves. They just really can't. They, they, are, see, those, they see them butts. They, <laughs> they got a chumps on it. Mm-hmm. So what does Howard get a job in? Does he like work as like an office drone or like you know a, a meter maid or anything? Well, she gets him a job that he's going to take to like a duck to water. Uh, that's her line. <laughs> um, one, of, one of many puns. And it is not any of those jobs that you would think. It is actually in a, I believe in the credits they call it a hot tub spa or something. But it's a it's a sex spa. It's a sex spa. Yeah. It's another, this is like, again, kind of like when the duck boobs show up at the beginning. Like, between him landing and this moment, it's just a kid's movie. Yeah. He's going to bite a lady's butt in the scene before. Hilarious. Uh, he Kids has, love you know, stuff. he jumps around and does kung fu flips and stuff against the in the fight with beverly good fun uh good fun and then all of a sudden it's like half naked people running around in this like really seedy motel really gross really gross really weird lighting like a really like like a lot of neon and this like green overwash of everything that just is sickly looking it's as grossly sexual as you can put in a movie yeah it's just so seedy and disgusting everyone's extremely scantily clad there's like the shot that kind of opens the scene up it's like a woman who's wearing like a pajama top and like you can see like most of her boob like right up to the nipple and it's like this is this was a kids movie for 20 (laughs) minutes except for the condom bit too it's like every time you you'll like let your defenses down something (laughs) else comes up that it's like oh god what is this movie yeah uh which is i mean maybe you could argue that's what's good about it that's what makes it more in the spirit of uh the original creation makes it a little bit more subversive but jesus christ yeah. This thing is... No rules. There are no rules, man. Just right. <laughs> Just right. Um, yeah, and he's like, oh, it must be mating season. Like, clearly, it's a sex place. Yeah. You know, everybody's chasing each oh, other everybody's around. everybody's fucking in that place. It was pretty uh, pretty disturbing. Lots of boning. And then he gets thrown into or he has a has a tiff with his boss i guess i guess his boss it was just a guy like hanging out at a bar yeah but i thought it was just a guy maybe like a pervy guy who's there to like watch but nope i he, think it's the boss no it is the boss because he starts like, ordering him around it's yeah. just a weird again a weird choice of like how the guy is presented yeah you know and he so he throws howard into a hot tub that's got a jammed jet. Yep, and this is the first time Howard lets us know that he can't swim. Yeah. Something he'll remind us of at least a couple more points in this movie. Which is hilarious because he's a duck. Yeah, it's funny because he's a duck. Get it? Um, Get it, everybody? So he throws 
Howard into the the gross. And there's people in it, by the way. There's yeah. people in it making Just, out while he's yeah. thrown in there. About to go down to Bone Town. And, and I think he actually does unjam the jet, cause, or unless somebody else is. There's like panties. I, know, I definitely in there. definitely see a jet like in the underwater shot. There's like a jet yeah. spraying in his face. So maybe he did. I think he unjammed because there's like a floating pair of panties in the thing. Yeah. So I think he knocked them loose. So That's somebody what I'm like going stuffed with. their panties into the jet. I guess. And then they went, and even though they did it, they went and complained about it. Well, maybe they left it there, and then the and next forgot, couple, and they just left with no panties. Yeah. This is a weird place, man. Yeah. I would not want to visit. The, the seedy side of Cleveland. <laughs> That's right. And then what's next? He goes... He gets revenge right away on this guy, actually. Oh, yeah, he throws him into a mud bath. Throws him into a mud bath. Which, that's the quits. point where I was like, oh, is this a spa? What is this? Because <laughs> there's a mud bath, there's a jacuzzi, and then there's just hallways full of scantily clad people running around and making out. Yeah. And being mostly naked. You can also get a... You can also get a facial while you're yeah, there. Right, right, right. This is just the place I want to get a mani-pedi <laughs> uh, from a duck. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, the guy, the uh, manager is pulling a bra. Oh, yeah. Somebody's just yeah, like taking their just... People are just taking their clothes off and leaving them wherever, just willy-nilly oh, yeah, at this it. joint. He pulls the bra out of a mud bath, and then Howard pushes him in. Gets his revenge. Gets his revenge. And quits, I believe, right? Yeah, he does. He says, I'm out of here. Uh, after that, Howard goes to... He wanders the city. It's very, like, sad. So. Oh, yeah. doesn't. So then after Howard quits, he wanders around and he finds Leia Thompson, right? Yeah, like he, he goes, goes back He to actually goes the, back and ends up in the alley where he landed. Because right. when he's thrown through the cosmos, he's in his, like, armchair. And when he lands on Earth, he bounces off of a bunch of stuff and ends up sitting in this, like, old scummy armchair that's discarded in the alleyway. Yeah. So he lands back at that place. Looks across the street, sees that bar that he went into. Where Cherry Bomb is playing. Where Cherry Bomb is playing. He could hear the the dulcet tones of Leah Thompson coming through. Beckoning him. Yeah, the siren song. Uh, So he goes inside and has run in with a couple of uh, character actors. Yeah, he actually, there's a guy. What's his name? Dennis Hadena or something like that? I forget his name. There's the guy who is the uh, valet guy from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He would also go on to play Spike on the Super Mario Bros. movie. Which, obviously, everybody knows him from that. But right. the, he's kind of a weirder dude. So he's in the scene. And then this other guy who's played a cop about 100,000 times. I think it was on NYPD Blue, maybe. Or maybe it was um, Law & Order. Oh, here he is. His name is Miguel Sandoval. That's right. Miguel and Sandoval. And he was in L.A. Law. I think that's why I'm thinking of him as like a cop yes. type or I a think law he's, type. I think he has I, definitely L.A. Law. I think he's also played a cop in several other you know features and stuff. Yeah. He was also the guy who discovers the amber in Jurassic Park. Probably best known by me as that guy. Yeah. Because that part, you know, like every frame of that film is like seared into my brain. So Yeah. But it was cool to see him in this, which is one of his earlier yeah, movie Yeah, he was roles. so young here. He was very fresh-faced. And so was the other guy. I uh, won't look up his name because I don't want to waste the time. But yeah, the other guy who was Spike in yes. Super Mario Brothers and yeah. stuff. But it was neat to see those two like random dudes, super young. Totally. Uh, just these two character actors just showing up in this thing. Uh, as a couple of just, again, just street toughs. Yeah, a couple of thugs. A couple of thugs for the manager... And for some reason, one of the thugs gives the manager the money that he's skimming off of the band, right? Yes, Because Miguel Sandoval hands over cash. He's like, oh, here's the cash for Beverly. And they kind of talk about her as if, you know, like, oh, I'm trying to get into bed with her or whatever. Yeah. I'm trying to, like, pimp her out. And I Howard like somehow maybe... overhears, despite the fact that he's several feet away in a noisy club with a live band playing. 
He has, um, he has that duck sense of hearing. Oh, that's true. That's true. That heightened duck sense. Tim Robbins asks him at one point if he's got any superpowers, and he says no, but he did leave out his duck sense of hearing. How could he know that his hearing was so much better than humans? Yeah, he just figured everybody had that sense yeah, of hearing. Yeah, of course. I think Miguel, I think his character owns the club, and so he was paying the manager the money for having the girls there. Oh, okay. And the manager was still going to skim some money off the top, and everybody was laughing about taking advantage of these girls. Right. And about possibly coercing them. Men, right? Yeah, all these men. And then, except for... Howard T. Duck. Right. He, he says, stands up for what's right. He, he sure stands does. up for his friends. And he quack foos the shit out of him. Well, this is after, of course, they take him and throw them along the bar in a very cartoonish <laughs> way. Like, like the uh, old throwing like, them down the bar. Yeah, the old, that old gag where it slides down and knocks over all the drinks, and people are like, whoa, look at this duck. They think, they, they of course go back to laughing, which is just what they're doing as villains at their end of the bar. And Howard gets up, quack foos them, and ends up beating them up to a degree that uh, they hand over the money. Mm-hmm. And they uh, let Beverly and the band and Cherry Bomb out of their contract. Nice job, Howard. So, yeah, this is when Tim Robbins comes back. Uh, they're, they're backstage. This is before Howard actually announces that they're free from the contract and gives them the money. But he they're, reunites with Beverly. Yeah. She's, re- she's happy to see him. She's been sad and worried about him. And apparently all the she, people in Cherry Bomb, she's told them about Howard. Yeah. And, so, they, and they're all like, oh, Howard, good to see you. Yeah, they like take it totally in stride. Yeah. And, they, and they all, I think, want to... Bone down with Howard as well. He's got that. All those girls seemed very attracted to this little tiny duck man. It's very strange to me. But they're all sort of enamored with him. Uh, he makes up with Beverly, and Tim Robbins shows up again. This is when we finally get that he's dating a member of the band, which explains why he even knows her. Right. Uh, and and he this has is when he does that line that you love. The greatest line in the entire movie. It's just like a cast-off line as he walks off screen, clearly ADR. <laughs> but the girl's like... Hey, what's his name? Philly? Yeah, well, she, she I think Howard calls him Philzy. 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 And, he, and he's like, she's like, hey, Philzy. And he's like, <laughs> he says, no sex now. I'm working. <laughs> so and it's, it's like, just a throwaway line. It's just like a throwaway line, but that made me laugh. No sex now. I'm working. Made me laugh quite a bit. Uh, this is the scene where he goes, uh, a wee 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 or whatever that sound is. And again, it's just like, after this bar scene, which is kind of a little over the top because all the bad guys are turned up to 11 but it is like again howard being the grounded one then you have the scene with the girls and i feel like actually all the girls in cherry bomb are really good yeah i think they're all very like naturalistic yeah. they, they felt like real rocker chicks they all are uh kind of take howard in stride no one's bad in the bunch and then tim robbins comes in a walking cartoon and just like throws the tone right out the window and it's just so odd to me everything or is so odd sets the tone back on course oh maybe maybe we don't know what willard's uh willard hayek's uh vision was so they go back to bev's place this is when we get uh howard playing a little bit of keyboard action oh uh, yeah some of that minneapolis funk sound with the keyboards and beverly comes out of the bathroom in that aforementioned very skimpy outfit which the skimpiest nightwear possible and she is just like flaunting it like it's nothing and um, that's the day that a lot of boys became men, I think, <laughs> was during this scene. And uh, this is the scene where they've come very close to, like, getting it on. Yeah, and it's so weird. The dynamic is so weird because he's flirting with her. She gets she hops onto the bed. He gets a, a gander at what she's wearing. Yeah, and, and he, he even he, says, like, oh, I'm starting to appreciate the, the, female, the female form, form of yeah. the human. And she's like... Howard, like she always does. Yeah. And he like hops in. She's like, come on, let's watch David Letterman. Yeah. It's very 80s. Come on, <laughs> let's watch David Letterman. And Howard hops onto the bed and starts. She's like, oh, the one thing I'm missing from my life is 
a good man or whatever. And Howard's like, oh, maybe it's not a man, it's a duck. And he starts flirting with her. Then she starts flirting back. And as it gets more real, Howard is like, oh, never mind, I have a headache, uh, nothing. It's a, such a weird... Oh, man, do you think Howard's a virgin? Maybe that's Dude. why the condom is unpacked and not used. Yeah. He doesn't know how to use he it. He doesn't know what they're really for. Oh my god, Howard's a virgin, dude. Maybe. I mean, not anymore. He's after. overcompensating for all the, like, that's why he's like, hey, toots and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, he's, he's like, trying to put on a front. Yeah, this machismo is all just a front for him. That's why Beverly is perfect for him, because he can be him, his real self. Like, she's okay with all of his insecurities and with all of his, you know. Yeah. I mean, by the end of the movie, not at this point. Right, not at this point. He even, like, covers his face up. It's very, like, childlike. Yeah. Like, you know. The, probably that's you know what it probably is. It's, it's probably, probably that twelve-year-old. It was a twelve-year-old. It was just <laughs> that, that scene was just improvised. Yeah, that twelve-year-old kid was just acting how he would act anyway. The first part of it was uh, was Ed, and then the second part of it was the <laughs> yeah, kid, yeah. and they had to edit it all together. Oh man, it was probably a nightmare in post. But uh, they got the scene, and luckily they don't bone down because uh, soon enough, Jeffrey Jones, uh, Tim Robbins, and a third dude uh, who's not famous walks into the scene, and and <coughs> from there we're kind of off to our plot we finally like get to a point where the, a yeah, plot the is clock happening. starts ha- yeah at that point and at this point this is actually the point where to me and maybe you can help me find what's good about it like this is the mo- where the movie really like goes off the rails okay because if the movie was just about like is like kind of a romantic comedy between a duck and a woman like i'm actually kind of into that and i think that he and leah thompson their relationship is really charming um. so i feel like that could have been a great movie I mean, maybe that's still not the movie that, like, Steven Gerber would have wanted or that George yeah. Lucas would have wanted. Because George Lucas, obviously, from Star Wars and Indiana Jones, had, like, a reputation to uphold of what kind of movie he would produce. But when it actually gets into all the sci-fi hullabaloo, yeah. like, that's when I'd stop caring. It's an interesting point because it also, while we were watching it, I was trying to think, like, what's Act 1? What's Act 2? What's act? I was trying to see, like, how everything worked together. I wasn't totally able to. It was like, uh, oh, now the movie's starting. I yeah. thought. Well, before... I think it, I think that's like the midpoint, and like Act Three starts. I guess whenever what's his face becomes Lord Zed, the overseer or over whatever uh-huh. of the universe. But yeah, the I Dark like, Lord, the Dark Lord. Sorry, I was actually thinking the same thing myself. Like, where? Like, by the time they show up and we get into like, oh, there's a science experiment. Here's how you got there. I was like, wait a minute, or like. That wasn't all just Act 1 just now. What was right. Act 1? I guess Act 1 probably ended when he and Bev uh, split up. But, you know, I was yeah, when, you're, when you're actively taken out of the movie and start thinking about the structure, <laughs> um, maybe things aren't quite going well. I think that's why, I mean, as a kid, you don't think about that stuff. It's oh, like, oh, so. cool, now they're doing sci-fi. Oh, cool, now he has to do this and yeah. do that. So as an adult, I was thinking about it much more critically. So maybe the, maybe the good thing is you get a lot of movies in one. You get a lot of adventures of Howard. You get the romantic comedy of Howard. You get the sort of sci-fi. It actually kind of becomes a sci-fi road trip. Yeah. With him, with Howard, Leah Thompson, and um, Jeffrey, Jones. Jeffrey Jones. And they go to a diner. Like there's, It's like they're, they're on a road trip together. It's yeah. a road trip movie at that point. I mean, it's like a road trip, but it's like from one location to a it's just a back and forth. It's not like we're going from point A to point B where you go from point A to point B back to point A. Yeah. Because they basically go to the science lab where they figure out like, let's turn on this laser, this 
radial spectrometer or whatever, giant yeah. laser coming out of this facility is what brought Howard here. They confirmed that Howard was brought here by it. And they say, we'll reverse the polarities or whatever and send you back. I guess they tried the experiment before Howard even arrived for some reason. And it basically brought something evil, which inhabits Jeffrey Jones. Yeah. Uh, they unwittingly go on a, I, I still, I like, maybe I just checked out of the movie for a couple minutes once it got to the science stuff. Why does everyone get arrested at some point? Like, like eventually the cops show up and they are like undressing Howard and like arresting Tim Robbins and and I still like Tim Robbins is in cuffs for a third of the movie and I'm like why? Yeah, I don't know that I can explain that because it's not like they were trespassing; they were brought there by the third guy who was not famous. Yeah, and he gets them in and as there's a, a lot guest of, stuff. of Jeffrey Jones and who and, runs the facility apparently. Yeah, and clearly um, Tim Robbins has been there multiple times. Like mm-hmm. people know who he is. They start talking to him. He's like, "Oh, they showed me this when I was here last time." So he knows all about the facility and all about this area. So why I think it's just like the cops are are like over Howard pretending to be a duck. Like there's just a people are just like over everything. Yeah, that's how that one cop that shows up. That's like the one that's in charge and is, has no time for nonsense. He seems to just... And a really bad haircut. It's <laughs> a guy, it's a, just like a middle-aged white dude with, like, wispy blonde hair that looks like it was, a like, uh, a squire's haircut at that one point. That guy's been in a lot of stuff, too. Oh, has he? Yeah. Like, I didn't recognize him at all, but he looked like a Will Forte character from <laughs> from SNL, like, with a blonde wig. Like, almost like a, if MacGruber's hair wasn't so nice, <laughs> it would be exactly what he would look like. Donald! But he, he's uh, yeah. a guy, and he, yeah, he's just, like fed up with everything and he yeah. shows up and he's a that weird character that he has no like arc at all and he shows up in the, the middle of the movie like i'm over this shit and like <laughs> yeah. undress the duck i'm tired of this and then like a few minutes later when uh he and filzy escape he's like i'm gonna get that duck no matter what it takes and we literally never see him again <laughs> that's right we don't ever see him again like what was the point of that like maybe he was in one of the mini cars that got flipped over or exploded or ended up in a river he was still chasing them yeah he was still chasing them and all those cars got flipped yeah but uh but this <sighs> that's is a... what the sequel should be is that guy yeah i mean like, i never got that duck his hunt for howard the duck and we can just get will forte to play him now because <laughs> yes. that guy's probably too old to do it now uh, but yeah, so we, uh, after they get arrested, they all escape for some reason cause they are arrested for some reason. Uh, it's Jeffrey Jones and he's different. Uh, and he brings, uh, uh, Howard and Leah Thompson, Beverly with him. Yes. And we find out that he's been inhabited by something and it takes him over. And that's when he switches from a normal voice, which is actually Jeffrey Jones before he starts the voice is the most subdued I've ever seen him in any role. Yeah. Like he just plays it real straight, real straight, yeah. which, which is good because that way when he does eventually go crazy as the bad guy, it's a fun change. Yeah. And let's, yeah, let's just say like, let's put all aside all of his un- very unfortunate early 2000s activities. I, up until that point was a fan of Jeffrey Jones, like again, Beetlejuice. Oh yeah. He's uh, awesome. Man. You know, a lot of, a lot of stuff, a lot of things, a lot of roles that really stuck out to me. Uh, love that guy up to that point. <laughs> yeah. And this is one of those things, and kind of like all the things he was in, he just went for it. He was just all in. Yeah, 100%. Um, and this is certainly no exception. He did no not judge his choices on this. Like, no. He just went for it. Came up with that voice. He was doing He was doing so much stuff that was like, in, a, in the hands of a lesser actor, I think, would have really fallen flat. But 
you can tell that dude's given a hundred percent all the time. And he's another person that uh, I don't know if he got the memo on what I don't think there was a memo on what the tone should be, <laughs> yeah. but he got one of them, <laughs> one of the many memos that was out there. The same one that Tim Robbins got once he turns into the Dark Overlord. And man, he is just like over the top. Yeah, and it's pretty funny. I'm it's not gonna lie, funny. he's pretty great. And he's got some. He's got actually a ton of one-liners in the diner and later. Yeah, and because he is so over the top and he's got that voice and everything like i think his comedy actually does work in this movie i think so too i'm not gonna not gonna take that away from the guy you know what doesn't work what is the mini chase scenes in this movie okay i'm getting ahead a little bit but we have the chasing where jeffrey jones leah thompson and howard all climb into the truck they're escaping this facility. Yes. Um, they're Very not actually, exciting. They're not actually being chased by anybody. They could be. If they were to slow down even the slightest bit, those cops would be right on their tails. I, but, the, but the whole scene, they're, there are so many scenes. Duck tails. <laughs> well done. Slow clap. Um, <laughs> so there's this scene. There's a scene where later Jeffrey Jones and Leah Thompson are in a semi-truck. And then there's the, uh, what's it called again? The damn light. Ultralight. Ultralight. Where it's just scenes of people driving and other people saying, look out! Or grabbing the wheel and telling them where to go. Yes. Like, Howard must be the most, like, inattentive flyer ever. And he just his head must be on a swivel just checking out all the scenery because... He's never flown before. He's, like a, a, he's a duck that's never had a chance to fly. Uh, as he says, if God had intended them to fly, he wouldn't have taken away their wings. Yeah. Um, so, which is like one of the worst puns of the movie. I would say, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, but there are like a trio of these scenes where yeah, it's like these a, a quote unquote chase trio. scenes, uh, <laughs> where they are just kind of weird and dull and just not exciting. Uh, because in this, in the whoa, case of whoa. this scene, oh, go ahead. no one's chasing them. So why are they almost getting into a hundred wrecks? And it's basically just Jeffrey Jones not paying attention and Howard and or Beverly having to take the wheel. And the well, this is our. I'll I'll defend this one, then you can move on to the next one. This one, they have to fly out of there. They have to drive out of there very quickly because the police will be chasing them. And if they slow down even the littlest bit, the police will catch up to them, and the movie will be over. Also, we're introduced to how bananas uh, Jeffrey is in this, or Doctor Jenning is at this moment because he is starting to be taken over by the monster, by the Dark Overlord, and so he's driving erratically. He's in pain, he's talking about how he's talking about how his insides feel horrible, and there's many there's fun one liners. A lot of layers there. Of uh, what did you have for lunch? Oh yeah, man, they just think he. We'll ate find a restroom. There's a lot of those, and they continue because they end up at a diner, which is Cajun Sushi Roadhouse. It's Delicious. the weirdest thing, and it's like yeah, it's basically everybody in country western gear, but with like. Uh, Japanese headbands on, like like you would see at a sushi restaurant or something, like yeah. with the rising sun on it. And what a combo! Very very odd. And even in that scene, like at one point, Jeffrey Jones like has all these like electrical sparks around him, and one of the guys guys working there is like, he must have eaten the chili. That's right. So you know what's weird about that place too that? is what the else sign, is weird about it? The sign outside says Cajun, and then they put a, another sign on top of whatever it used to be and wrote sushi. So yeah. it wasn't originally a Cajun sushi. It was like they tried something else and it didn't work. And they yeah. were like, you know what we're going to do? Fuse these together. I know, Cajun but I, it did have me curious because I was wondering that too. I was like, what is this referring to? Like, what what kind yeah. of thing do they have? 
Uh, and it was also like the original name of the place was like Sal Romano's Roadhouse. Oh, and like the Cajun whatever, and now the Cajun sushi are also in addition to it. So that's this, right. This restaurant has seen a lot of management changes. <laughs> that's your spinoff. That's your sequel is just what? how does this place pick up the pieces after the events of Howard the Duck? And, you know, where do we go from here? And what kind of cuisine do they pick up from here? Because why are they making Cajun cuisine in deep uh, Ohio Cajun, anyway? Yeah. So, <laughs> so we get here. This is where Jeffrey Jones basically fully transforms into the Dark Overlord. Uh, they're in a, a restaurant. There are a bunch of weirdos. I mean, they're the weirdos. So they're being stared at by a bunch of other weirdos, a bunch of hicks, uh, like, yeah. you know, typical Georgia redneck hicks that are for some reason in Ohio. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, so as I pointed out to Sebastian, every, every time... Uh, the movie gets like dull or has like exposition. Somebody shows up to try to beat up Howard for no reason. Yeah. In this case, three uh, bumpkins show up and they start to hit on Beverly. Howard sticks up to defend them, and they for some reason think that Howard is a, a ventriloquist dummy. Yeah, that's where they. That's where the main guy's head goes right away. It's like, don't you guys know what this is? This is a ventriloquist dummy. It, not 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 speaking to the fact that Howard is across the table from the guy that they think is the tranquilist ventriloquist, which is Jeffrey Jones. So why do they think that this is what I'm this fully by, animated thing is a ventriloquist dummy? What I'm confused by is the very guy who says this is a ventriloquist dummy. Once Howard says something to him, I can't remember what he says to him, but something like "Get out of here, Jack" or whatever. Or You're a what? He insults him in some way. That same guy turns to Dr. Jennings and is like, did you make him say that? You just established that he was a ventriloquist. Why are you asking him? Yeah. Anyway, I still love this And also movie. Howard uh, calls one of those guys a cracker at some point. That's when right. he, so weird. He throws a pie in their face and calls him a cracker. Maybe he said Take quacker. That. Maybe he said quacker. Maybe, but I'm pretty sure he said like cracker. That, it's like the Smurfs being like, you Smurfer. You sm- oh, right, mother right. Smurfer. You Smurfed up. Yeah. It's like him saying, you mother quacker. Yeah. Which, speaking of um, that sort of thing, there's like a lot of stuff in here that... Uh, Howard should like, not know about? Well, no, no, no. Not even that. Just like curse words that are removed and replaced with something weird. Like, at the very beginning when he's being assaulted by a couple of street toughs, uh, the guy's like, I must be high on toots. It's like... Uh, like Well, toot it and boot it, bro. <laughs> I don't know what toots is, but... And I feel like there's, like, somebody says, oh, shivers, or something like that later, and it's she obviously... says, holy Toledo. Whatever. Yeah, well, holy Toledo, at least I've heard before. Or maybe that came from Howard the Duck, I don't know. <laughs> but I feel like I've heard people say, holy Toledo, and other oh, things. Oh, yeah, people say holy like, Toledo. Like, at least in, like, cartoons and stuff, but... Um, anyway, it's just weird to me that, like, in a movie with, like, duck boobs and other weird <laughs> things like that... And Curses a duck are a of, step too far. Yeah, that is just a bridge too far for these people... But um, so yeah, uh, Jeffrey Jones destroys the place in a in a very in a in hectic... a mixture of practical and optical effects. Yes, and I will say that these optical effects—you could tell that they were under a time crunch. They're not all great because I love old school optical effects. I love like Ghostbusters, some of the best of all time, like uh-huh. Poltergeist, like that kind of like weird uh, like lights over superimposed yeah. on images yeah. is so cool to me and I've always loved that but these just looked cheap and maybe that's the blu-ray effect I don't know I think it's a blu-ray effect I think they looked really cool I think that as we discussed only a few shots don't get me wrong I'm not saying every single shot I'm just okay. a few of them were like oh that looks cheap yeah I think it's the blu-ray effect maybe I'm going to say maybe. it's the blu-ray effect I do think it's awesome that they mixed the optical and the the 
uh, practical effects or the digital and the practical effects because they were on the cusp of digital effects at this yeah. point. And so many of the things that happen in the diner are from steam cans shooting off and stuff flying. There's also a, a moment where um, Dr. Jenning through telekinesis makes all of the furniture in the in the dining area slam against the door. I love that, and I've always loved that effect. They do that a lot in um, in the Poltergeist as well. And that's that's an effect where they everything is on a slant, and then the release they they move the release, and everything just through gravity. Yeah, goes towards and that looks awesome. And yeah, there's also great. a shot where he like closes the doors, and the two like trees that are right yeah, next to yeah. the door like kind of cross over the doors. It's yeah. really cool. Yeah. So we're at the point where like. Things are starting to ramp up, yes, and it becomes very sci-fi heavy. This is when they get into the light wing, or what the hell? Ultra light. It's ultra light. Jeez, I don't know why I can't, like, the word wing won't leave my head. But they get in the ultra light. We're in a very laborious, long chase scene in that, that apparently, like, required three units to shoot, and, like, months and months of time to shoot. And it's just sort of dull. It's sort of like a... Like a half-ass Blues Brothers, like a lot of cop cars crashing. <laughs> half-ass Blues Brothers. Yeah, they 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 fly over city, they fly over country. It's like the weird, like you have no idea where this is set because when they drove away from the facility, you thought that they were still in Cleveland. Yeah, they didn't drive for that long to get to this diner, but it takes them like twenty minutes of screen time. Maybe it's in real time. I don't know to fly from the diner to the facility. Well, what's and... weird too, it's on the same thing that you're talking about, is when Doctor Jenning takes. Leah Thompson in the truck, he stops off at a nuclear power plant, uh-huh. and it, I am like, where is everything geographically? It, like, why did you have to go there before going to the... I know you were low on energy, but, like, why you couldn't just go somewhere? Or as you pointed out, when I pointed out that I didn't really like how long that took, that he could have just gone and siphoned electricity from somewhere. Yeah, he should have just... One, it would have saved him budgetary-wise, but just stopped on the side of the road, cut a power line, and just, like, sucked it, you know, like... That would have been fine, or used his tongue to like stick into a transformer on a on a light pole, uh, you know, and not an Optimus Prime or Bumblebee or Megatron, <laughs> but you know a trans a power yeah. transformer, and that would have been fine. Uh, maybe not as funny, I guess, or maybe we just really wanted to get across that he's nuclear now. I don't know. I yeah. mean, it was the eighties. Nuclear was nuclear a big, was huge, a big yeah. thing, like uh, Nuclear was, Man. Yeah, Superman Four. Exactly. Uh, nuclear was hot at the time. Um, but we finally get to our our finale, uh, which our epic finale. Yeah, which uh, by the way, uh, Howard and uh, Filzy escape by going through the hole of a uh, a train, uh, like a gap in a train. And I guess that train was a thousand miles long because the hundred cops that were after them just give up at that point, <laughs> and they're like, "Well, I guess they got away." Because they basically fly through the gap and then land right next to the facility and land in the water and duck. Uh, duck. <laughs> Howard reminds us once again that he can't swim. And basically, just to like wrap this up quickly, like it, they 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 break a laser out of containment. Howard shoots him with the laser we've already yeah, gushed special, about the a special defense. Uh, project laser that yeah. they, that Philzy knew about that was in, hidden in a different room. Yeah, and we've we've gushed about the uh, the, the the monster the monster at the end, and that's really cool. Um, and most importantly, but yeah, he wins. Uh, but Howard doesn't really like have some big moment. He kind of shoots him with a laser three times, and that's that. Yeah, the laser blasting. I mean, it's kind of repetitive, but I will say one awesome thing is. Howard does learn about being a hero because all good heroes learn about self-sacrifice. And at the very end, he defeats the monster and then there are more monsters that are coming towards them that are coming to Earth to rule the universe. And Howard 
has to destroy the laser beam, whatever it's called. Uh, the to... spectrometer? The something spectrometer? Yes, I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, he has to destroy that thing and uh, in order to prevent them from, from landing here. But as Beverly points out, if he destroys it, he'll never be able to get back home. And so he has to make that choice of, oh man, do I destroy my one way home or what? And he makes the choice to destroy it even though... Uh, in order to save the world and to save the universe, I guess, uh, even though it costs him his return trip home. So he he says goodbye, Duck World, I think, at the yeah, end. Yeah. And then uh, makes peace with the fact that he's going to be stuck on Earth with beautiful Beverly forever. Right. Unfortunate. And, he, and he's, he has to live with the fact that all he's got is this, you know, gorgeous woman at his side and a group of close friends and... And he gets to be their manager, uh, the manager of Cherry Bomb now, and take them on to great success and play the guitar in front of a huge crowd. It's a rough life that he that he gives up, you know. He but who could have he, known? He gives who up could a pretty lame life on Duck World, actually. Like we, I mean, we know he had a friend that wanted to, you know, play racquetball or whatever with him, and a woman that wanted to hook up, right? But I mean, otherwise, Howard's life seemed kind of dull. But he had made peace with it. He had said, like, eh, I'm pretty much resigned to the fact that I'm not going to be a rock star. I'm just going to be a copywriter um, and a sellout, basically. Yeah. But he was, like, comfortable, and he had a great collection of movie posters. He did. He, he did. had to give up all those movie posters. I mean, that is a problem. That He's going to be really surprised when he, get, when he starts checking into Earth movies right. and realizing that there's, like an Earth movie to coincide with every single Duck World movie. And that's going to blow his friggin' mind. But all the Earth movie posters, he's going to be like, that's a horrible pun. Yeah. Because his duck pun world is real for him. And now the Earth world, oh my gosh. Oh man, yeah. He's going to be really disappointed in a lot of these movies. But uh, So we've actually gone through basically the entire movie. For anybody who hasn't seen it, I, I, assume, you're if you're, I assume if you're listening to this, you probably have seen it. And this probably... Didn't feel as much like a, here's why it's great. So, Sebastian, yes. let's get into, very briefly, why it's great. Why do you think this movie is uh, great? Why do you think it stands the test of time? Why is this movie a classic? I think there are so many reasons why this movie is great. Um, but I'll try and keep it quick. Thinking back to when I was a kid, I loved this movie so much that I even created a life-size Howard the Duck. Like, I drew on paper, and I don't know if you ever did this in school with like, um, you know, your school projects or whatever, maybe if you're making a pilgrim or if you're doing a Halloween uh, decoration with a skeleton or whatever, but you can use those like brass in TV world. They're called brads, but I think they're just brass fasteners. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, Where each one is like a hinge yes, and it's, yes. you know, and you basically just have like a skeleton. Yes. Even if it's not a skeleton you're making, but a skeletal puppet yes. kind of thing. Yeah, so as you said, every hinge is like a joint. Yeah, it's like articulated through that. Oh, yeah, I definitely made those. I definitely yeah. at least made a skeleton and a pilgrim. Yeah, well, there you point. go. I nailed it. Um, well, I made one also of Howard the Duck that was life-size, which was basically about my height uh, at that time. Whoa, it was life-size? How did you find the pieces for that? Uh, well, all the pieces are separate, right? Because there's a, you draw the head out of one piece of paper, but still like the, fastener. But like the body? The, well, the body each hinge, so they're like the top of the uh, the top of the arm, the forearm. Those are all separate, and his torso is not giant, so uh -huh. torso was probably the biggest piece of paper that I needed, That's and amazing. I had it. Um, but yeah, I, and I made different outfits for him and stuff, and I would like carry him around. He'd sit on the couch. He'd sit in the uh, next to my bed. He was like my little buddy. Um, Did I don't you take him to school with you. I don't think so. I don't oh, think I was. That's a shame. I was 
that much of a lunatic. But I did really enjoy uh, having Howard around. It was like I was hanging out with Howard the Duck, and yeah. I even gave him those Macaulay Culkin eyes that he's got. Oh, weird. That are a little Do bit weird. Do you have weird. any photos of this thing? Or I hope so. I'm going to actually... If we can find a photo and put it on the social media, I think we need to. Absolutely. I'm actually going to ask my mom if she has it in storage or something. She could save the Like the actual stuff. Howard? or The actual Howard. Oh, my God. Yeah. I want to meet him. It's my dream that that still is somewhere. I know it was that in my closet incredible. forever. Um, but anyway, so I had you're that. You're a pipe rat. Uh, yeah, I am, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, I had that for a while, and I was really into it. And again, you know, adults would be like, why? But as a kid, it was just like, because it's awesome. I think also, looking back at it, now that we've rewatched it, I can see why there were other things in the film that I latched onto. For instance, George Lucas's name. I was a huge Star oh, Wars yeah, fan. Totally. I mean, Star Wars is what I played all the time. Had the figures, you know, all of us thought we were Jedis when we were that age. And just seeing his name and then seeing the two moons, it's like, oh, this is like Star Wars. And then there's also aspects of, oh, well, first of all, all of those movie posters that we just made fun of, as a kid, that kind of stuff we loved because we were reading Mad Magazine, Garbage Pail Kids, like puns. Even to this day, John, you and I make PV puns all the time on the regular. I'm still having affection for puns. Oh, yeah. this PV puns are, of course, from our our comic book, Penguins vs. Possums. Where we, uh, you know, it's PV perfect. Because uh, obviously, shortening of Penguins versus Possums, we would refer to it as PVP almost exclusively. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that obviously leads us open to tons of puns. Yeah. PV puns. PV puns. PV puns. PV perfect. Um, PV priceless. Um, there you go. So there's an, an, uh, an uh, PV appreciation of those PV puns that are in the movie. And then also. Um, there's a lot of Superman in the movie. Like, he gets pulled from one planet to another planet, traveling through the cosmos. There's that really cool narration in the beginning, which is The narration, and the, and the opening title itself is, seemed like a very Superman-esque. Yeah, totally. And the theme... By the way, let me just say one thing that I will say is great about this movie yeah. is the John Barry score. Oh, yeah, John yeah. Barry, obviously the... Uh, composer behind the James Bond theme and I think like 13 of the early Bond movies. Incredible career. Uh, that's like the least, uh, you know, that's probably the bit thing he's most known for, but... Howard the Duck is Incredible career, but yeah, even Howard the Duck is like a really great score. It's oh, just, yeah. it's that kind of score that we don't really hear anymore, that John Williams type, that yes. really evocative, orchestral, uh, it's not just like tones that, you know, <laughs> yes. like, eight, you know, tones that try to get across some sort of, I don't know, feeling, feeling. Um, emotional o- ominous tones, yeah, so this was just like a really bright, fun uh, score and I, I loved it. I noticed it several times during the movie that how great the score is. Yeah, and there were actually on the Superman vein there were a couple very overt Superman correlations. Uh, Filzy says, "Up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's a duck." Yes. And then he, there's also the same joke in Howard the Duck that they do in Superman Two, where in Superman Two they he says, "Oh, Houston," and he goes, "Oh, the whole planet Houston." And they say, no, Earth, the whole planet Earth. And in Howard the Duck, he asks Leah Thompson where he is, and she says, Cleveland. And he's like, oh, that makes sense for a planet like this, Cleveland. And she's like, no, Cleveland is the city, Earth, it's Earth, it's the planet, I think. Um, <laughs> Why she says I think, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still confused about. I think her mind is so blown. The idea is that she's like, is this still Earth? My life just changed. Oh, I see, yes. I think. But so there's those huge things. And then also, the another huge thing at that time, Back to the Future. Same year as Back to the Future. Uh-huh. Has Leia Thompson, who was in Back to the Future, has 
the awesome guitar licks like in Back to the Future, right. and the end is basically Back to the Future. Like, oh yeah, while we're while we're watching the end scene, uh, it's it's uh, Howard is on the on the stage playing guitar, like dressed basically like Marty McFly, almost from exactly the, like from Marty the Enchantment McFly. Under the Sea dance. And I uh, I said Philzy goes off to the side and he calls somebody <laughs> on the phone. He's like. Hey, Eddie, you looking for that new sound? Oh, it's Philzy. Philzy Van Halen. You looking for that new sound? Well, here it is. Well, listen to this. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, anyway, sorry. Yeah, the Back to the Future connection is strong in this one. Oh, it's very strong. I mean, from as you said, from the outfit to he does special moves with the guitar. Oh, that... he does the, I mean, he does the Chuck Berry. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the Chuck Berry slash Angus Young yeah. uh, duck walk, I think they actually call <laughs> it the duck walk, duck walk, I believe. Perfect. Yeah. It was all meant to be. Everybody. It was, it was. Um, but yeah, that whole big musical number, I mean, I loved the Johnny B. Good number in Back to the Future. Oh yeah, who doesn't? I always wish to that that could be me one day. I don't know how to play the guitar at all. But I always, as a, as a kid, wish that I would be able to do that one day. So seeing Howard do it, like, it's, yet again, an embodiment of just somebody who's awesome. And, and it, for me did call back to back to the future which made it even more awesome and that's something again that we do in penguins versus possums where stuff that we love we incorporate into our thing as well of course so it's like that's what they did so those are many reasons that i think it is great and it does stand the test of time because as a kid while i couldn't see all the nuances and i couldn't see some of the comedy was over my head some of the adult humor was over my head like now looking back on it, I really appreciate what they did with effects. I really appreciate that it was so absurd that there weren't like rules to this movie. Yeah. And I, I still think, man, this was a really fun movie to watch. And it was fun to watch together and be like, oh my gosh, just thinking back. And it's not all just nostalgia. It's like a real appreciation for what they were able to do with this movie at that time. Yeah. And I think if this movie were released today, almost unchanged. I think if you cut out the duck tits, if you cut out the, the weird little <laughs> condom in his wallet... I think if you cut out those Forget very it. adult touches, uh-huh. I think that this would be like a perfect kids movie to be released in 2018. Because if you look at like Adventure Time or yeah. uh, regular show, like the 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 absurdity, yeah, the, there's an absurdist element and a postmodern element in almost everything that is being fed to children now. Because it's people our age who grew up on stuff like Howard the Duck <laughs> who are writing it, and I think that like Howard is the perfect absurdist weirdo but great fun adventure i think kids yeah. would like love this movie if it was made today yeah and, and it maybe, wasn't like a cgi may- fest uh by the way if we yes. you know we made it exactly still the practical with a little person as howard i think that honestly that performance was really good i think yeah. ed gale did like an awesome job and it's obviously there's chip zine yeah um who is that how you pronounce the name chip Zien? i don't know i was gonna say chip zien but i, I have no idea uh she's a broadway actor chip who did the voice for Howard, the combination of that plus, uh, with the exception of the few uh, appearances of the weird animatronic version of Howard, <laughs> yes. uh, besides those few appearances, like it really created a character that is Absolutely. grounded and likable, and you really feel for him. And a lot of people, yes, say that he has weird Macaulay Culkin eyes, but, but the eyes are, are very expressive. They're very expressive. There was a, there's a I'm scene, really impressed by that. There's a scene in the diner where Jeffrey Jones is doing his weird, you know... Uh, Dr. Jenning turning into monster thing. And Howard does this like deadpan look and then looks over to Leia Thompson and the timing and the look on his face. I think they nailed it. I was, I laughed at that moment. I was like, wow, that was like an acting moment. You like you, here's the thing is like beyond like 
the beginning where you're looking at all the different ducks and all the different duck costumes, and it all looks kind of funny and silly, and everything, uh-huh. all the city is built smaller to scale, <laughs> yes. and everything just looks a little off. Once Howard's in Earth and he's interacting with people, you don't question him. Yeah. It's kind of like the Ninja Turtles from the first Turtles movie. Like, you just buy it. Yeah. And, and it's because the animatronics were really well done. I think Ed Gale's performance was really well done. And honestly, everybody, except for maybe Tim Robbins, who's just way over the top, everybody acting opposite him sells the reality of this situation. Yeah. And it's it's just, like, it's weird to say, but the Howard performance is a good performance. Yeah, I It's agree. a very good performance. And I think Leah Thompson is should be credited the most with giving it an air of realism because she is so committed to the part. I absolutely agree. And I, it, it was somewhat heartbreaking to hear what happened after Howard came out. I know. Um, I know. However, you, I know you're a big fan of this movie, Some Kind of Wonderful, yes. which she had turned down apparently a ton of times. Yes. She ended up doing it because Howard was such a disaster. She felt like she had to just jump on the next movie that would take her. Well, and she said Eric Stoltz biked up to her uh, house on Laurel Canyon and brought her the script, and while she was like in a corner drinking bourbon, was like, Leah, they still want you for this movie. You need to do this movie. And as you said, she was like, I got to jump back on the horse and yeah. do it. Or and else nobody's going to hire her again. Yeah. So we got some kind of wonderful, which, which is, is a great amazing, which is to this day one of my favorite movies of all time. Really? Like, yes. I of all love time. that movie. I didn't watch it until I was an adult. It's uh, one of my wife Lindsay's favorite movies, and I love it. I think it's great. And I, and I like that it's sort of like repairing the, the Pretty in Pink situation where Ducky. Mm. You know, the ducky wins yeah. at the end. Yeah. Uh, so, the I'm ducky, funny yeah. enough, he goes for the ducky uh, and not Leah Thompson. But yeah. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> <clears throat> it's a bad joke. Uh, so, no, that was great. I'm well, glad Ducky, that, who's glad... also in Superman 4. Oh, um, yeah. And he gets he's like spun around in the air. Right? Yeah, he gets spun around in the air by Nuclear Man. And the same thing happens by a nuclear-charged Dr. Jenning in Howard the Duck. He spins Howard the Duck, who is a duck! Oh my god, there are so many connections to Superman. So many connections. But however, like, why are we making Superman references? This is a friggin' Marvel movie. This is the first <laughs> Marvel movie. Why are we doing this? Why are we bringing up Up, Up, and Away, and It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman? Like, because it's get there. Get that out of here. It's there, that's should have said you're our friendly neighborhood Duck Man, or, you know... Well, you're, um, you're on Earth, Duck. I hope you survive the experience. <laughs> they, That's an X Men reference. For they um, who doesn't know. You know some of the behind the scenes stuff because I, I think I mentioned to you like there was some behind the scenes footage that I watched where they treat Howard as if he's a real creature. Like Howard the Duck really came from well, another planet. That performance was really well sold, apparently, <laughs> and. So in all the behind-the-scenes stuff where they're like, hey, what do you guys think about the movie that's coming out? Leah Thompson, Tim Robbins, everybody's talking about Howard as a real person. The producers are like, oh, yeah, Leah Thompson is really into Howard the Duck and blah, 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 which is weird. But yeah. then Tim Robbins is like, actually calls him a superhero. He's like, yeah, Howard the Duck is a superhero. So they were pushing that like mm. comic book super person or creature, I right. guess elements of it but i love superman you know i'm gonna bring up superman for anything oh of course of course so i think this movie is something i haven't seen in a really long time it's something that i didn't really appreciate a lot when i was a kid i definitely watched it and enjoyed what i saw but watching it as an adult it's definitely a different experience from watching (laughs) it as a kid and there is a lot of weirdness yes and a lot of like off uh like not offhand or off kilterness to it and not a good way but there is so much that's great about it. I love the tactile feel of everything. Yeah. I love the effects are old school and great. And maybe that's just me showing my age once again on the show. <laughs> but I just love those old school, like, 
optical effects with using an optical printer and yeah. uh, just that pre-digital stuff is so feels so different than what we see now. Absolutely. And it's just so much more fun. Jennings like shooting lasers out of his eyes to blow up a line of cars ahead of him. Like that's just cool. It's and, super cool. And you know it's real. You know it's really happening. Yeah. And I think the obviously the I've talked about the the monster at the end a lot, but that's just a cool thing that you just don't see as much anymore. There's just so much ingenuity behind it, and the uh, map painting. You pointed out a couple of map paintings. Oh yeah, yeah. There. I pointed out mostly the uh, the facility that Jennings works at. Um, they use a map painting to basically build out this giant building, this yeah. giant facility. And it's just cool. I just miss that sort of thing. Like, yeah. if I ever have the chance to make a big movie, it'll probably never happen. I'm sure I'll be like, oh, it's easy to do it in a computer. <laughs> but, I mean, I've seen uh, a friend of mine works at ILM. So I've actually seen a ton of these, like, huge map paintings, like, from the end of uh, awesome. Die Hard and stuff like that. And they're ginormous and amazing. And it's just, like, I miss that art. Yeah. And there's just, like, a lot of art that is sort of gone to the wayside, uh, stop motion animation, matte paintings, the practical uh, costume effects and stuff that have just gone away that I miss. And like you were saying earlier, the grittiness of the world, yeah. uh, just the like reality of Cleveland, this uh, <laughs> you know desolate war zone of a crime-ridden <laughs> war zone. Um, I just love all that stuff. And I think that's just me being nostalgic for the types of movies that existed back in the 80s, if I'm being honest. But sure. As a movie, I think, yeah, if you took out those couple of elements, it's like a nearly perfect kids movie. Yeah. Maybe shorten that ultralight flight by a couple minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cut out, like, when <laughs> there's one point where they're flying over the swamps uh, and flying over duck hunters, and they clearly <laughs> reuse the same footage a couple of times where they're, like, flying over and, like, the duck hunters are like, whoa, whoa, and they flying. They keep falling out of the they rowboat. They keep falling out of the <laughs> rowboat, and we only see one group of guys sitting in that lake. Yeah, uh, but Howard and and uh, Filzy easily <laughs> fly over and knock over at least twenty five <laughs> different groups, and over the course of like a three minute sequence of them just flying over this lake. Which again, where are they? Where, I thought they were in Cleveland. Cleveland is a city. Like Cleveland is like a metropolitan city. So where the Maybe hell a are they? Suburb of Cleveland. I suppose so. Deeper the, into Ohio. Yeah, the deep swamps of Cleveland. Uh, so yeah, you could definitely uh, take out one of their. At least take one out of their flybys. Yeah, one of the flybys. Take out one of the chase scenes where they're not really being chased. <laughs> but no, this is a fun movie, and the actors are all committed, and yeah. it's um, a lot of great memories from it. Well, sounds like now we know why it's great. Here's why it's great. So, what do you guys think? Do you think Howard the Duck is a classic, or are we quacking up the wrong tree? Why don't you tell us? How can you tell us? Well, you can email us at hwigpodcast at gmail.com. That's here's why it's great podcast at gmail.com. Or, or you can find us on social media on Instagram and Twitter at hwigpodcast. Again, that's like you're saying, here's why it's great podcast, but we were literally one letter shy on Twitter for here's why it's great. So now we had to abbreviate. So now we're Whig. Thanks a lot. Twitter. It's not um, Hedwig, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Yes, yes, it's not, unfortunately. Reach out to us and let us know what you hate so we can tell you why it's great. We're starting to get a few suggestions rolling in. Yes, yeah, And those exciting. will be some upcoming episodes, some exciting stuff uh, very, very soon for some of our listeners. So we're really excited about that. We're really thrilled to get your guys' feelings and thoughts and what you, what you hate so we can tell you why it's great. So keep them coming. And until then, I'm John Bring. And I'm Sebastian Kavlicek. And here's why it's great.